Hey everybody, welcome to Row Hunting Resources Podcast. All right, well, I'm uh, I'm late on uh, getting this out to you, and I know it. I apologize. Uh, <laughs> geez, well, there we go. Holy cow! I, I, I still I have yet to bring out my jar, and I almost caught myself. I caught myself almost saying "Geez, oh Pete" again. Um, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Let me just real quick segue because that, that wasn't planned. Um, now that I know. Someone pointed out that I, I used to say Jizo Pete all the time. Now it's like, as soon as I even start to say it, it becomes this conscious uh, red flag. And so I stop. And so I don't say it as much anymore. So now, I, hey, I don't know what to tell you. I, <laughs> someone, someone liked me saying it all the time because they're like, dude, it's your trademark. I'm like, if that's my trademark, I have failed. I have failed in my career. If that's all I'm known for is just saying geez, oh, Pete. Uh I gotta go back to square one, I think. But anyway. Um yeah, so now I, I just about the time I say it, I get the Gizo out of my Gizo out of my mouth and then I'm like, oop, nope, can't say that. I don't know. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But anyway, it just it was funny. Um yes, I know I'm late. I'm I'm I, I owe you guys a podcast and I owe you probably two in the next several days if I can pull that off I don't know we'll see um, but no these past couple weeks have oh there we go first notification um, yeah literally I get it I, I have yet I did not put my uh, phone on silent and do not disturb so first one so elk so colorado all you colorado elk hunters uh colorado is posting or notifying people they're hitting credit cards on your elk licenses and notifying that whether or not you've got your got your tag um josh benton who's been on the podcast before just texted me he just drew his tag so he's stoked which is good because he's got it again we talked about the fact that we put together a hunt plan for him uh, or I helped him with his hunt plan this year, and it looks like a pretty darn good hunt plan. Um, and he's done the work, man. He, I mean, obviously we sat and, and chatted, um, but one of my recommend, recommendations was him to get a hold of the area game wardens and biologists, etc. And he did, and got some good feedback from them as well that just confirmed what we had. It, that's always nice when you talk to the local, you know, CPW folks or or the state whether this I don't care what state it is you talk to the game wardens you talk to the area biologists and you find out that what you've looked at and what you've kind of sussed out in your area and what you're kind of anticipating or what you what you are hoping for um and what you've you know looked at and and kind of determined is actually factual or at least highly probable you know that's always that's always a good thing. There's sometimes when you put a, get a plan together and then you get a hold of the game warden or biologist and they're like, no, not e- no, that's not you know this this area is overrun by people and no, the elk actually go and migrate the opposite direction and no, this area is is a transition area only on these years. But now based on X, Y, and Z, the elk have definitely kind of not used that area anymore. It's like oh, back to square one. So. For Josh, it looks, it looks, it looks, it looks promising. 
So I'm hoping. Fingers crossed. But anyway, got the phone back on silent. Put it on uh, do not disturb. We'll go from there. Um, but anyway, so this past couple weeks have just been, well, I talked about the fact that, you know, this spring has been, it started off just brutally dry. We're, I mean, we're, don't get me wrong. We're still in a drought cycle. We're still in a dry situation. Uh, but we did get this period of time and it was just brutally windy. And so it was very difficult to get out and spray herbicide to prep some areas. This is going to be a, di- that that's going to be a segue into a different conversation here. Um, maybe coming up and talking about some of the changes that I'm going to be doing in my food plot regimen simply because with the cost of herbicide, the cost of fuel and everything else, you, I just can't, you can't just keep chasing after weeds. You got to, you got to do something different. And the whole movement of cover cropping in food, in the food plot industry for whitetails has taken off. Dr. Grant Woods is, I, I'll give him full credit for getting a hold of and working with green cover seed folks uh, early on and and really kicking that in the pants and getting that going. Um, But obviously I like I've talked about out here, we've, we have some challenges with that, you know, that, that whole idea, you know, the idea, however, um, what can, what is not in question is having good, um, what Gabe Brown and others you know, have coined the, the term, you know, armor on the soil. Some of you have, that have been asking me for some more of the deer habitat stuff discussions and the, the holistic farming and the um, cover cropping stuff know what I'm talking about. Armor on the soil where you've got stubble, like crop stubble or cover crop stubble that has a high amount of carbon to it, a high amount of lignin in it to where it's very sturdy, uh, durable stubble, duff layer. That stubble layer covers the soil, shades out the soil, keeps the soil cooler. Some of the weeds that we're fighting cannot tolerate cooler soils. They cannot tolerate no sunlight. And so that stubble layer, that duff layer, that armor, if you will, on the soil can help choke out a lot of your weeds. And in our neck of the woods, we have so much wind that you really have to be strategic on the type of quote-unquote armor you put on the soil because you can have a lot of fine material, small material that will be very, very effective if it stays in place. But when you have 30, 40, 60, 80 mile an hour winds, that stuff just picks up and goes. And so the wind end up ends up scouring out your food plot or your cover corridor or whatever you're working on. And all of your stubble, all of your duff layer, all of that armor just gets blown off. It was good while it was there, but it just it was not sturdy enough and heavy enough to stay through that wind load and the environment over many, many months. So... There's some places where I've had very, very good success with, you know, the, the cover crop idea or and or just choking out the weeds. This past year has been challenging because we did not have, we had a brutal drought, so we did not have the overall vegetative growth biomass that we needed for some of the stubble to provide that armor on the soil. And then we had this just absolutely insane spring 
of just crazy wind that removed some of that stubble off the landscape, opening up bare soil patches, opening up that sunlight to hit the, hit the, the soil. And out here, you know, again, this is a different discussion. Um, we cannot just, you know, open up the forest canopy or open up the, the ground and let, let the, let the native seed bank, you know, come back forth and, and bear fruit and be bountiful and creating deer and turkey habitat. Mm, no, we're not in that environment. We are in that buffer area, that, that, the fringe edge of what used to be suitable whitetail habitat, what used to be uh, fringe habitat of, of what used to be historic turkey range. So these disturbed habitats, when you let nature just do what nature want to do, you're going to end up with a whole bunch of shit that you just don't want. And once you got it, you can't get rid of it. And it's going to be a nightmare for you to deal with it from there on out. So that's what we're dealing with. So trying to spray this year has been important because even though I've done what I can do responsibly from a food plot, cover crop, vegetative biomass standpoint, the drought didn't help me. And then the wind just removed a bunch of it. So now we do have places where I've got weeds coming in that I need to take care of. Well, the the wind responsible herbicide application means you don't spray when the wind is, is, you know, when you have high winds and especially if it's gusty. Well, that's what all spring's been. So everybody, it's not just me, everybody, farmers included, um, everybody's behind, way behind. We've got just, we haven't been able to get out there and spray. And then you get a day like today. Today was absolutely gorgeous. I was able to get out, take care of my pasture, my, my horse pasture that, um, that has been neglected. I mean, it hasn't been neglected. I sprayed it earlier on, uh, got a good treatment of all the things that I needed to get. And then for whatever, again, longer discussion, not important now, but a bunch of that, that herbicide resistant amaranth, spiny amaranth. If anybody has, if you know what that's like, it's just this prickly, nasty crap that is largely herbicide resistant. You got to kind of use some more nasty herbicides on it. Um, that just exploded across uh, a lot of the the pasture. So I was like, all right, well, I've got to let it fill in. And then the first good, calm day that I can get in there to treat it, I need to get in there and treat it. Well, today was the day. It was awesome. Beautiful day. It's beautiful out there right now. Um, Single-digit wind speeds, sunny. High, I think 77, maybe 80 degrees. It was just just a just a gorgeous day. So I nuked the piss out of all of my weeds on on my pasture. But these several these past this past week, 10 days has just been a just gangbusters, just going balls to the walls on trying to get everything prepped and stabilized so I can start to drill all the food plots. I mean, I've only got a handful of food plots actually drilled right now. I mean, no, 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 lie, lie. I've only got one. I, I mean, I've got a bunch of food plots that are stable, that I'm that are in a stable state that I'm waiting to do something later on. But as far as planting 2022 stuff, I just finally got the five-acre cornfield uh, done the other day, and I'm going to get to get to the challenges there. But anyway, it's just been a challenging spring, so it's just been crazy. Either you got crappy weather. Uh, or you got great weather, and when it's great weather, you just you're just going gangbusters. Um, but the the real 
reason why I'm kind of delayed. Man, if you've never had a tooth abscess, and I mean like a legit, full-on, full-blown, I want to just go to the garage and get a pair of pliers and yank my tooth out of my skull because it would feel better. Tooth abscess. Brothers, sisters, more power to you. I hope you never do. I don't know what the hell happened, but last week about, and it may have been Sunday night. In, no, I think it was Sunday night into Monday. I think I woke up Monday with it. Um, but I've got to, if anybody's had dental work, um, you can have your fillings. That's fine. Uh, sometimes you get a cracked tooth. Your fillings, something will happen. You get a, something. If you need a crown, and that's what I had. I've had a couple crowns put in because of just cracks in my teeth. Um, I've got this one tooth, um, bottom jaw, that is susceptible to. I, I don't know whether I grind my teeth at night or I. Cl- I, th- I don't. Th- I know that I don't grind my teeth at night. But I have woken up to where I think I've been clenching my jaw or I sleep I sleep on my side or on my stomach. And sometimes if I'm sleeping on my stomach, my arms are under the pillow or whatever. And I'll, I, I, can, I know that I've woken up before where, you know, my head's, my jaw is laying, you know, my bottom jaw is laying on my hand or arm or whatever. And I could tell that I've just been push, putting pressure on my lower jaw. Well, one of my tooth... My my first molar on my my lower jaw, my right hand side, has a crown on it, and it's always been somewhat a little loose. I mean, not the crown, but just the whole tooth. And every now and then, if I get a little too, if I've clenched too much, or if I put a little too much pressure on it, it'll get angry. It'll get swollen. It'll just get some inflammation in there, and it just gets sore, and you know, it just all sorts of things happen. But I I blessed with one of, I mean one of the families that comes out here to hunt with me who's become a very good friend is a dental surgeon. I mean, he's got a very thriving dental practice across, well, he, he, he was Idaho and Colorado. He's kind of um, scaling down his operation in Colorado. But anyway, the guy's good. And so he's helped me out. He's like, all right, well, if you if you end up in those situations where it's just not, you know, you get some you get some inflammation, it gets angry, take some ibuprofen, let it relax, it'll it'll be fine. Some days that ibuprofen don't cut it and it just won't let go. And so that's where an oral steroid, um, a, a regimen of, you know, five, seven days of, of oral steroid can really just kick it in the nuts to where it just kills that inflammation, calms everything down, lets your body stabilize and then boop, back to good, back to normal. Well, about a year ago, I had that happen and my dent, my local dentist also very, very good. Uh, my local dentist, um, helped me out and he's like, man, quite honestly, when those things type happen or those types of things happen, especially with what you've got going on there, oftentimes that you, you've got a, you've got an abscess, you, you're, you're going to need a, a root canal. I'm like, screw a bunch of that. I don't want to, what? No, what? No, I don't want a freaking root canal. So that's where Todd, you know, he, he, my my buddy, he was like, well, before we go down, that it's legit. I mean, that might be the case, but before we go down that road, let's try this anti-inflammatory route, uh, the more aggressive route, and just see what happens with that. Well, I mean, it it was instant. Like, it took care of that instantly. And so for the past year, A, I didn't need a root canal last year. And then B, for the past year, I mean, it's been awesome. I mean, I can... I can chew on, I can crack nuts with it and chew on all the, it didn't matter. I mean, it's, it's a perfectly functioning tooth and jaw. Everything's hunky-dory, peachy keen. 
I don't know. Again, like I said, about Sunday night into Monday, I think of last week, I woke up. I think it was I think it was Monday morning. Pretty sure, maybe even Tuesday morning, but I think it was Monday morning. I woke up, tooth on fire. Just it again. Here I I must have clenched all night or I did something, and it's pissed off. And I'm like, all right, okay, been here, done that. I'll just take some ibuprofen today. Let it let it settle down. Tuesday roll. I, what, I've got it. On, I've got it on my text. Let me see. Uh, well, I'm while I'm talking here, um, so I'm I'm not lying to you, because I've got it right here. Here we go. Boom. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that was what day was that? I'm looking at it right now. Where is it? What? Oh, that was... Th- oh, so yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so by Thursday... Thursday, I got a hold of Todd. So yeah, it was like, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Um. So it was, it was the first couple... So Monday or Tuesday. And so Tuesday, it's getting pissed off. Wednesday, it's, it's, it's just flat not stopping. And it's getting worse. So Thursday, I get hold of Todd. I'm like, man... I'm sorry to bug you, brother. Uh, this is what's going on, just like we did last year. I'm wondering if you wouldn't be. He's like, yeah, we'll we'll get it squared away. Call that in, blah, blah, blah. We'll get you hooked up. So he calls that in. I jump on it. I, I jump into the, the, the pain management regimen, the the, store, the oral steroid on, thir- on Friday. Um, usually, like I said before, the first go around, bam, knocks it out. And then you just taper yourself off. If anybody's taking an oral steroid, you know, you'll have like a massive load. The first, you take like five or six pills or whatever it is. The first day, the next day is a couple, you know, one or two less. The next day is one or two less. The next day is one or two less. The next day is, so you taper off. You get a massive load and then you taper off uh, on the the steroid load. So usually the first go around takes care of it. So if you've ever, so anybody that ends up having a jaw pain and, and just tooth issues, if you if you don't think it's an app, I mean, I, I'm I'm telling you, oral steroid regimen to start, just to see if it's just a pain issue, and and quite honestly, um, at that time also, uh, I think both Todd and my dentist said, you know, just jump on a uh, and uh, antibiotic that way if it is an abscess it just knocks that thing out right up you know it knocks the infection out but so anyway he we start doing what I did last year and unlike last year this baby ain't stopping and so by no joke it's Saturday afternoon and I can't I mean literally it's like okay I'm either going to get a hold of my dentist and we're in something, something has to happen or I'm going to go, I, I'm, I've tried sucking this up for a week now or I'm going to the emergency room and having them remove my entire lower jaw because it'll be better than whatever the hell I'm dealing with right now. And so my dentist, he's like, oh yeah, he goes, he goes, if, if, Based on what's going on, he goes, no, it sounds like you've got an abscess and it's it's full blown. So here's antibiotics. Just nuke the piss out of it with antibiotics. He goes, give me three days. Give me three days of 
keep the and, and literally at this time now, Todd said I'm on the 800 milligrams of ibuprofen. Two hours later, I'm a thousand milligrams of acetaminophen. Two hours after that, now it's four hours. I'm back on the 800 milligrams of ibuprofen. Two hours after that, now I'm back on the. I'm literally alternating every two hours: 800 milligrams of ibuprofen, a thousand milligrams of acetaminophen. Just massive, and taking the oral steroid, and taking the the um, antibiotic, and the ibuprofen slash acetaminophen. Again, if never, if anybody's ever had to have to be in some serious pain management, knows. What's cool about the the ibuprofen slash the the alternating ibuprofen and acetaminophen every two hours. So again, so you can take ibuprofen eight hundred, you know, four tablets of ibuprofen. That's going to last you about four hours, and then it's going to tape. You know, it's going to it's going to last about four hours. It's going to take about thirty minutes to kick in, and about the last thirty minutes of of that four hour period, it's going to start to taper off. But about four hours of eight, uh, of ibuprofen. Same thing with acetaminophen, about eight hours, or excuse me, about four hours that it's going to take about 30 minutes to kick in. And then it's going to be right about the end of four hours, it's going to taper off pretty quick. Well, if you overlap them by about two hours, so right at the peak of effectiveness of your ibuprofen, you take your acetaminophen. By the time the acetaminophen ramps up and is really kicking in and in, in engaging, that's when your ibuprofen starts to taper off and now your acetaminophen is taking over. And then as soon as that, you, so you're just alternating back and forth, but you're at this high level of, of pain management. It's actually as effective apparently as some of the more egregious, you know, Percocets and, and oxycodones and all that type of stuff, but it's not as addictive. It's not addictive. So now it can absolutely wreak havoc with your gut and your liver and everything else. So you, you've got to be a healthy person. You can't be an alcoholic or have some major, you know, gut issues and ulcers and that type of stuff. But I was on max pain medic. I mean, so here we are Saturday, and I'm 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 beside myself. I can't even think straight. So I go Saturday night, go to bed, and I'm like, all right. I'm going to set my basic my alarm every two hours to make sure that I get up uh, and take my meds. Well, I mi- somehow I missed at like one. If, so I was supposed to get up at one o'clock in the morning and take my meds. I woke up at like 1.40 and my, I mean, I was just dizzy, just dizzy with pain. I'm like, oh hell. And so that entire night, all sun, all into Sunday morning, I, was, I, I think it was like 5 a.m. I finally got it back under control and then Sunday was just miserable Monday was a little bit better um but yeah it was definitely an abscess now I don't know what ended up happening as far as whether it's down deep in the root or whether it was just you know between the gums or whatever I don't care I don't know what it was but not to be graphic but she blew out you know if anybody's had a horse with a foot abscess which I've had which I've had with our horses you know those abscesses they'll get in there they they get this massive pus pocket that builds pressure immense pain but it will work its way in some direction and it'll work it'll find the weakest uh weakest connective tissue and it'll just follow that and basically 
like squeezing tube, uh, like squeezing toothpaste out of a tube. It's just gonna, it's just gonna push out, and eventually it's gonna blow out somewhere. Normally on tooth abscesses, sometimes it'll end up being like a pimple down on your gum line somewhere on your jawline. It'll come out the side. Mine didn't. Mine came right up between my teeth. And I looked at, I was, I was like, what that? I looked in the mirror and I got this massive, just ball. I'm like, what the hell? And I just pushed it and it, uh, <coughs> freaking thing just, just all this nasty pus just, just blows out. And I'm like, okay. Instantly, pain gone. I'm like, oh, feels so much better now. So those past, so those next couple of days, the early part of the week, I was like, okay, I'm back to now. I don't have the massive throbbing pain that I did before. But you know, now the question is, do I have deep damage down in the bottom of the root, or what? You know, do I need to do a, a root canal? Both dentists, you know, think, yep, yep, you're gonna, yeah, absolutely, you're gonna need to get that cleaned out. However, I took the x-ray the other day yesterday and it didn't show anything the tooth looks completely fine everything looks perfect everything it's like i don't freaking know but if you've never had a, a, a just a full-blown abscess man i pray dear lord you never do because it's it sucks i you know you watch the you always watch those western movies that you know the, the old time movies or you hear about well even the civil war area and all that type of stuff where people have tooth pain and they just grab a pair of pliers and just pull their own tooth out and you're thinking, how in the hell would you ever do that? I mean, like, you think about grabbing your tooth with a pair of pliers and just wrenching it out of your mouth. That is absolutely a plausible idea. That is absolutely a legitimate option on the table when you're in the middle of an abscess because it will not hurt any worse than what you're going through and quite honestly it's going to provide immediate relief and to where at, I'm, I'm dead serious it was one of those situations where i was like if this tooth has got to come out anyway like if if i get a hold of my dentist and he's like oh crap you know whether it was todd or whether it was uh, dr kreiser kreisick you know if if both of them said oh man you've probably got a bob you know this issue blah 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 you know we probably need to remove that tooth It may have happened in my garage. It, I, I might have had a bottle of whiskey next to me. I might have dunked the pliers in some in some alcohol and, and sterilized them shits for a little bit. But it might have damn well happened in the garage because it would have been worth it. It would have been worth it. Oh, man. Oh, it was brutal. It was brutal. So meanwhile, while I'm doing that, you know, it, again... It, I'm behind on my habitat stuff anyway, so stuff's got to get done. So here we have a couple of good days in there, and I'm not the only one. It's, this is this is not me complaining. It, well, it is going to be complaining, but it's not. I'm not the only one. The farmers are dealing with the same thing. So far, it's official. The, the other day, uh, uh, my last uh, mower went down, um, so it's official now. Every single piece of equipment that I use for my habitat stuff has broken or failed, gone down uh, this this spring. So the Ranger has been in the shop twice. ATV has been in the shop. Uh, like, and it, it's not like, oh, I need to do routine maintenance. No, I'm out there do I'm out there working, and all of a sudden, boom, done. It's just I, done. I'm I'm done. I'm shut down. I cannot continue. I've got to I've got to get it fixed, and it's and it's a fix that's beyond me. Okay. So the Ranger. 
ATV, um, my drill, my both mowers. So I've got two Swisher mowers. Now, one of them, uh, the Brush King, that's just that's just basic maintenance. That that the spindle bearing is it has worn out. It worn out. It wore out last fall. I just didn't take the time this past winter uh, to to. I've got all the parts. I just need to switch out the bearings on that spindle. But it just takes you. You got to take the whole damn thing apart in order to do that. It's just time. It's just time consuming. And with where it is in my garage, I don't. You blah, blah, blah. There's reasons. It, it probably poor reasons. But regardless, I didn't fix that one. But my other mower that I bought, it, that thing's just rocking. That thing hasn't failed me since day one that I bought it, probably five, six years ago. And so I'm like, ah, doesn't matter. I got this one. Something happened the other day. Something's going on with it. It doesn't matter. Completely, boom, done, locked up. She's got to go to the shop because the entire motor's got to be pulled apart. Um, Sprayer, oh, of course. I, I've, I, Well, actually, I had to fix the original. I had to throw away the original sprayer. I had to completely scalp two other sprayers and build myself another sprayer to where I can continue. So, so the sprayer's been foobarred. Chainsaw, chainsaw had, I mean, literally every single piece of equipment this season has broken. But again, like I said, it's not, for some reason, I don't know what it is about this year. It's not just me. My, the landowners I work with, the people that they work with, the farmers around, everybody's in the same boat. Like tractors are down, planters are getting gummed up, can't spray, sprayer this, but it just doesn't matter. Everyone is way behind the power curve. I mean, hell, one of my landowners is still planting corn. I don't even have my my food plots in yet, that my summer plots in yet. But one of my landowners who's norm well, both both of my landowners that do the the bulk of their farming, they're not even remotely close to being done planting. I mean, normally by this time of the year, they're done. They're they're done. Done and crops are coming up and it's green. You can I mean, there's no, not even close. Equipment it's just, it's just been the year of Murphy's Law. I mean, if whatever can go wrong, will go wrong. Period. End of discussion. So with the abscess, me trying to get some client stuff done, my stuff done, machines just, just crapping out. It was just, I just, there was just no way. I'm like, I am not, there's no way I'm sitting behind the microphone. A, I couldn't talk. Last Sunday, no way. Saturday, Sunday, no. There was no talking. No, there was no talking. No. So, and then, oh, this one sucks. So anyway, I'm back, I'm, I'm, my tooth is, I've got a little low-level pain. I will, I'm going to go back in and I've got to go back to the dentist next week and see, get another x-ray, see what's going on. May have to just suck it up and get a root canal and just finalize and everything anyway. But regardless, oh, so Jep, anybody that's followed me knows Jep, my dog, uh, the lab mix, who's the just incredible pheasant dog. He's getting old. He's getting older. He's getting up there in age. Um, but when he was about five or six, five or six, blew out his ACL on his left leg. And we had to go in and get a TPLO surgery. TPL. Is that what it is? Yeah. I used to know, yeah, I think that's what it is. Anywhere where they basically completely cleave the the knee joint 
reposition the the leg on the the joint and then suture everything back up and and st- I mean it's like completely refigure the the knee joint in a dog and it looks horrific and it works phenomenally like within a week or two he was out there running around and within a matter of a couple months he was like better than new better than new well here he is 10 10 and a half almost 11 years old and it's i mean stupid shit this is what if there's anything that gets me going and and just sets off my temper it's it's just stupid shit things that should not happen that happen that just absolutely just ruin your day life or whatever so here he is we all we go every morning i take him on a walk he's excited as dogs do bouncing around running around getting excited i go to the front of the house i don't remember what i was checking I, it doesn't matter our front porch is legitimately like nine inches taller than the patio, okay? So it's just a little raised redwood deck porch. Nine inches taller than the patio pavers. Jep runs across that porch, and as he's jumping off the porch and lands, it just 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 jumps off, just running, just jumps off, all of a sudden you hear this, yay! And he can't put any weight on his leg. And the way it happened, I originally thought, I'm like, I wonder if he caught, because he's got big toenails. His toenails are these big, thick, long daggers. And his, it, you can't trim them back because the quick is really long and extended. So you could just keep the tips trimmed off, but but he's just got these long uh, toenails. Uh, big, heavy-duty, long toenails. And it almost sounded like he got a toenail caught in the boards on the porch. And I was like, all right, well, he just kind of tweaked a toenail or toe, maybe broke a toe. That would hurt. I understand that. Okay, there's nothing you can do. We'll just monitor it for the next couple of days and see what happens. Well, not getting better. He could not, I mean, could not put any weight. he just run around on three legs. And then the reality set in. We talked to our local vet and she's like, actually, sounds like he snapped his other ACL. And we're like, shit. Yep, so did the, you know, looked at all the things and sure enough, so Jep busted his ACL on his other leg, his his right rear leg, and now so there's only a handful of vets that can do that surgery, the TPO surgery. So um what the hell is it? It doesn't matter. We call the the place in Denver that did our uh, did the other one the earliest so this was a this is a couple weeks ago now. The earliest we can get him in is like third week of June. It's like, so poor buddy has just been, I mean, he's at this point, he's miserable. Now he's, it's stabilized enough where he can put a little weight on that leg and he's kind of hobbling around a little bit and he wants to go for his walk and he wants to do all the things. But I mean, he, he gets a third of the way into it and he can't go anywhere. So obviously we, we can't take him on the walks. We can't go do stuff with him, you know, so he's bored out of his skull in pain. We're still, we're on pain management with him, but it's still to where you could tell it's stressing him out. He doesn't want to eat. It's just, oh, poor buddy. Can you, I mean, that's the thing, you know, people talk about all the time, you know, you know, universal healthcare and standardized medicine and blah, blah, blah. 
government-run healthcare, and you listen to the horror stories from England and, and Canada and other places where, yeah, you, you need a surgery. Uh, we can get you in in six weeks. It's like, what? Six weeks? What? Yeah, well, that's the earliest we can get you in. And be feel lucky that we deem you worthy of, of receiving this surgery because of your age or your health conditions and all these other things. Yes, you are slated for a surgery, but it's it's not going to be for another six weeks. So meanwhile, like for Jeff, you blow out your ACL. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, well, we got you on for surgery in six weeks. But uh, in the meantime, suck it up. Ugh. I just feel bad for him. He just you can just tell he's just miserable. He just lays he just lays in one spot all day and then we'll get up and we'll take a you know brief little walk just to get some blood moving and so he can get his poop on and all that type of stuff. But he just ah, oh, it just breaks your heart. It just breaks my heart because there's nothing we can do. Nothing. We're we're doing what we can do and no one can get him in. Um the earliest we can get him in is you know, mid to third week of June, so Fingers crossed he stays all right, but man, it just sucks. So, what a hell of a spring! But I, but the, and I share that with you because I've had multiple conversations over these past couple weeks and and well, hell, months now. You know, posting some of the stuff that I post on social media again. If you're on, please, I I'm going to say this every single podcast. I hate Facebook. I mean, I really do. I I just not even a fan of the platform anymore. Um, so I'm almost never on Facebook. Yes, when I post something to Instagram, I will, it will it will share and it will po- it'll it'll share stuff over on Facebook. I very rarely look at Facebook. So if you if you engage it in Facebook and you see something in Facebook and then you 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 comment on it or you message me through Messenger, which I've deleted off my phone. It's probably not going to come through. Go to Instagram, send me a message there, or just email me. Seriously, email me. I just, I'm just not a fan of Facebook. I know, I know that Instagram is owned by Facebook. I'm talking about beyond all the 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 philosophical stuff. I'm just not a fan of the platform Facebook anymore. I just prefer the interface of Instagram, and even Instagram these days is kind of wearing on me. But anyway. So I've talked to a bunch of you and, and it's been nice to to have real honest conversations. Um, none of this glorified look at my life. My life is wonderful and great and you know, no, man, it's just freaking life and especially now with what's going on with I mean hell the fact I'm I don't know why and, and here knock on wood. It doesn't get worse. It doesn't go back. But we were sitting at five dollars and twenty dollars, five dollars and twenty cent diesel. We're down now to four eighty one to four eighty nine, depending. Um, still sucks, but it's better than five twenty um, or more. Herbicide costs are through the freaking roof. I, you know, one of my buddies is a builder. I mean, just trying to supply chain stuff, trying to get equipment. Trying, one of the reasons why my equipment sat for so long is that the the parts that I needed out of stock had to order them from a, a third party, and it just was a nightmare trying to get parts. It just, you know, whether you're a homeowner, whether you're a business owner, 
it's just it's it's a challenging time. I, I talked to a, a, a texting a friend of mine today. She's dealing with lingering health or, or physical issues. She took a mat. She was an Ironman triathlon type of, of of woman that just was out there kicking it and crushing it every day, and then took a massive nasty spill, messed up her elbow hard, multiple surgeries, bunch of nerve stuff going on. I mean, and she's still. And this is years ago now. She's still fighting that stuff. And and what's going on with the medical industry and, and supply chain issue, all all that stuff is just compounding to make it even harder for her to to get things taken care of the way she would like to have things taken. It just we're all in the same boat. Paying for groceries. <laughs> so Kelly's got a great, so Kelly's in her dream job right now. I mean, there's no two ways about it. I don't know how this job came to be, but it was tailor-made for her personality. It was tailor-made for her um, uh, proclivities as uh, her abilities and her uh, interests. And it's from, it's work from home. So she can do it from her pajamas in her bathrobe. I mean, for an introvert, this job, it's it's an introvert's dream coupled with if you're the type of person that likes to problem solve, uh, manage people, manage problems, cre- be cre- it it's perfect. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's perfect for her. Um, so I end up taking care of a lot of the day-to-day stuff around the house. One of the things I always take care of is the grocery shopping. And so I'm very, I, I've got a rhythm, you know, you know, your grocery store where you, where you grocery shop, you know, how you move through the store and you know what you eat and you know where the healthy stuff is and not, you know, not so healthy spot. And you know what the prices are and you kind of compare, well, she hasn't gone to the grocery store in months, like really shopped. The other day I had, I was out on a client's property. She had the day off. So I was working all day. She decided she'd go go to the grocery store. She comes back. She's like, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm like, what's going on? She's like, that was depressing. She's like, when did such and such end up be costing such and such? I'm like, are you serious? She's like, that's like three times more. I'm like, yeah, you're that's old news, sister. That's been like a year now. It's yeah. Prices ain't the same. You go to the grocery store now and walking out like doing your normal groceries and walking out without spending a hundred and eighty, two hundred bucks. You know, I I try to get the groceries we're gonna need for a week or so or more. Man, it's just everything sucks. And and you know, it it be, it's now quote unquote cliche, but I really do feel for you, you families with little ones where, you know, if you're dealing with supply chain issues with the, you know, baby formula and baby food and diapers and just, uh, it doesn't matter what walk, what, what, what area are you walk in life and what you do? It, it, it hits us all. We all just end up having to deal with a different shit sandwich. I mean, it, it, that's all there. That, that's that, it, some of you. It, it just it may be different bread. It may be different. It doesn't matter. It's a, just a it's a shit sandwich. It's just a different version of a shit sandwich, and we're all gonna have to just keep chewing through it and just come out the other end. So it is what it is. It sucks, but it is what it is. Um, 
But um, anyway, so let's, I've got a couple things that, that I wanted to chat with you about tonight. Uh, and some of them are recent. Um, so it's actually all right that, I, that it's been delayed. Um, the first one, let me, let me just touch on a couple of the recent Instagram posts that I, that I shared. And the, the one I, I've, I've climbed down off the co- clock tower now, not the cock tower, the clock, clock tower on my local, speaking of the local grocery store, that person that part, the, 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 the post that I did with the person parking in the parking lot. Now, some of some of you got it, all right. I some of you some of you got it, all right, which I appreciate. And then there was a couple people that I had to explain it. I'm like, I had to walk you through it, walk them. So if you if if you aren't following me on Instagram right now, by all means go because I I post a bunch of different random stuff there. I, I I know it's supposed to be quote unquote a business, you know, and I have supposed to be I'm supposed to always be sweetness and light, but I I just post things that. I find interesting, I find meaning in, I find profound, I find whatever, interesting, whatever, it doesn't matter. Amongst all the other row hunting resources stuff that I post. So I know that I'm I'm doing the cardinal sin of, you know, conflating personal versus business, but ugh, I'm so tired of the just the game, constant game of marketing, social media, blah, blah, blah. So anyway. So I post this picture of a car in the parking lot of the local grocery store. And it just, let me, let me give the back. Okay. So yeah, go, go to the Instagram page. You'll, you'll see the picture. Okay. I'm going to walk you through it because this, I I've got it. I just got to explain it. I just, I've got to wrap my head around it because I, th- I, like I said, I think it's a perfect commentary of today in, in many facets. It's just like an onion. You just keep peeling it back and it's keep peeling it back. And peel, but it's a rotten onion and it just stinks to high heaven. Every doesn't matter how many layers deep you go in the damn thing. It's just, they all stink. Every layer stinks. So I'm headed to the grocery store. Okay, it's a small town. So as I'm weaseling through traffic and I'm, I'm navigating the corners and the turns and the, the, the one stoplight, I see the car in question approaching the, the, the grocery store. Now I'm, it's off in the distance. Don't think anything of it. I pull into the grocery store. Now this is a small town, small town grocery store. Okay. So parking spaces, while they are usually ample, they're at a premium, okay? I mean, it's not, I mean, there are times where the parking lot's full and you've got to either go back and go around the block or you got to park out on the street or you got to park out, you know, you got to figure out some way to park because the parking lot is full, okay? It's a small town. It's a small grocery store with a tiny parking lot. There's only so many spaces there. Most of the time, it's not a problem. Some of the time, it can be. So I pull in. And for those that didn't see the the post, let me just paint a picture for you. The front of the grocery store, okay? You've got parking spaces that pull up to the curb right in front of the grocery store. And like most places, your handicap spots 
are right there at the front door. Like right up, bam, there they are. The closest spots to the front door. And they're well marked, big bright blue spaces on the, you know, painted on the ground with a, with a little, you know, wheelchair and the sign and plenty of yellow buffer area for you can get wheelchairs in and out or walkers or whatever. I mean, they are the quintessential handicap spot right in front of the front door. And then to the right of the front door, as you move away from the front door, there's your normal parking spots, right? And then there's a little drive lane. And then on the other side of the drive lane, here's another row of parking spots, which has another row of parking spots up against that. And then there's another drive lane and there's a handful of other parking spots. And that's it. I mean, there's probably, oh, I don't know. Let's say there's a total of 30 spots in this parking lot. That might be 30 to 40 spots around, you know, in the front and around the side of this building. Okay. I pull in and this car has pulled into a parking spot. No, no, no. Two parking spots. They center punched the yellow line dividing two parking spots, right? You've seen people, you've seen these jackasses that they just, they'll park their vehicle right on the center line to where they have half of one parking spot on one side and half of another parking spot on the other side. Oftentimes, presumably, so people don't ding their doors. They have room to where, you know, their their $80,000, $100,000 truck or or whatever car, there's ooh-ah, what, you know, some whoop-dee-woo vehicle that they, they just pristine that is not allowed to have an ounce of dust on it ever, you know, they... They want to make sure that no one door dings them. And so they, they'll, they'll just be those douchebags that park right on the center line. And then they take up two spots so no one can ding them, right? Let me just tell you, this car is not that. This car, what is it? Late 80s, 90s, maybe? I don't I No, it's probably, it can't be that old. Maybe 90s, early 2000s. It's, it's an old car. And it's not a fancy car. It's just an old beater car. That's all there is to it, Okay. But yet, they parked right on that yellow line. But here's the kicker. And this is the one. Now, don't get me wrong. I hate douchebags that that park on that yellow line. When I was in Colorado this past March working, there I had to park in a parking garage next to the hotel. And there was this douchebag of a guy. He had a, a, a new Chevy pickup. GMC? Yeah, GMC? I don't know. GMC pickup. Every single... Okay, it's a parking garage, and the the parking garage. Okay, mm, parking garage services the hotel, all the apartments around the around the the plaza, and then anybody that's coming to the restaurants in this little district. Okay, so this parking garage. There were times when I had to literally drive to the sixth floor, six layers, six levels. I had to park up on the roof. There were no spaces. It was packed to the gills, and this guy. And it was a guy, because I saw him. This guy, nope, every time. He'd park right on the yellow line. So he'd take up two spaces every time he parked. I'm like, dude, do you you even even understand the level of desire I have right now? Because I always carry a toe strap in my truck. Do you, like, do you understand how tempting it is when 
I pull into the garage and there's a little bit of, you know, there's a lot of space and there's not as many people in there. And I see your vehicle straddling that yellow line. I just want to just chuck the, the strap over your cab, left to right, just hook it on the frame underneath on one side, and then just go around, hook it up to the to my my hitch on the other side, and just roll your ass. Just 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 roll your vehicle. Right a hell out. Just I'll just I'll just tip you up 90 degrees and I'll put you squarely in one parking spot. You know how tempting it is for me to just, just just to roll your ass up on its side and just go, there you go. I'm sorry, I helped you fix you. Let me let me help you with your parking there. There you are. Now you're in a parking spot, you son of a bitch. Okay? Let's just say the desire is strong. The desire is strong. And oftentimes I have to just talk to myself and I'm like, Chris, nope, 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 nope. Because then you'll be, you're the one that's a jerk. You'll be the asshole. You're the one who'll get the ticket. You're the one who'll get sued. You're the one who'll be, nope, not worth it. It's not worth it. Not worth it. I think it might be, but yet again, I digress. So anyway, I look at this car. So this car comes and does the same thing. Not only does it take up two spaces, it takes two spaces right in front, like right next to the door, right next to the entrance of the grocery store. Like the rest of the parking lot's out there. If you don't want to, if, if it's about a door ding thing, you've got the rest of the parking lot. Park off on the street. I don't care. No, no, no. They're going to pull right in next to the front door. And here's the kicker. <laughs> Handicap license plates. <laughs> So instantly, I, I I look at the car, I look at the license plate, and you know how fast your brain works. I, I look at the back of the car, I see the license plate, I'm like handicap, and instantly I, I don't. I think my eyes jerked my head to the left. I'm like handicap, boink. I look over. Both handicap spaces are wide open. No one there. Like it's just empty. There's crickets. There's tumbleweeds. You you, you hear the the western. It's just like empty, vast lands of Wyoming. There's no one around. There's nothing blocking those handicap spaces. But yet this guy, gal, whoever it was, I didn't get to see him walk in. And I know that they walked in because by the time, this is the thing. I know that they walked in because there's no way they could have parked and gotten into the store without me seeing them had they not been an able-bodied person to get out of the vehicle and just whip, walk in. Instantly, I just I was like, "Are you?" I did. It, the funny part is, I'm glad I wasn't the only one because I did. I, I was like, "I've got to take a picture of this. This is this this is this is such a perfect commentary on life right now. People in general in life." So I'm standing there. I, I take a picture of the back of the car, and I turn to take a picture, and another guy's walking up, and he just looks at me. And he just kind of smiles and shakes his head. You can see he's the, he's looking at the scene. He's like. Mother, I'm like, yeah, mm, bite my tongue, Chris, bite my tongue. Because I, I did. I just, there was a part of me that just wanted to storm and just like march into the store and just like grab the intercom and be like, whoever's car is such and such and such and such with license plate such and such, all four tires have been slashed. You might want to go and address it or, or better. And the, the, the reality is I had the little, we've got a little RAV4, a little Toyota RAV4, so I couldn't have done anything anyway. But had I had my truck, Mm. 
if you're the owner of such and such vehicle with such and such license plate, your vehicle has been dragged out into the middle of the street, so you might want to go take care of it. Oh my gosh. It was perfect though. It was just a good kick in the pants to get me motivated, get my brain going because I did it. So I'm like, okay, let's let's walk through the type of person that's going to do that. All right. Let's go from most innocent to the most like egregious. And the problem is, is I'm, I'm being gracious when I say, let's go to the most innocent because I know they're not. I know they're not. Like, so you could, you could make the argument like maybe someone didn't know, you know, they didn't see the yellow line. And so they just kind of, they, they, they parked cattywampus and they just, they just ended up taking over two spots rather than just one. No, 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 no. I've dealt with people like that. I've seen people like that. You have too. That's frustrating enough to where someone comes in and they like park on the yellow line and to where you're like, okay, well now it's too, I can't park there because then it's going to get too close because I, I could park there and, and I know I could get out, but damn well sure as hell, I know for a fact I pull in there, they're going to freaking door ding the hell out of me when they get in. So uh, no, I've got to park somewhere else. And so they inadvertently take two lanes just be, or two parking spots just because they have no depth perception or no skills or ability or they're just freaking clueless or whatever it is. That was not the case here. Because they, I mean, they if if they lined up, as, like, as someone said on, on the, the comments, they lined up the hood ornament on that yellow line and just like drove it right down. Bam. You could probably pull a tape measure out and measure left and right, and it would have been plus or minus an inch. No, they center punched that thing with a vengeance on purpose. Okay. So this wasn't an innocent thing of like, oh, oops, I made a mistake. Nope. This was purposeful. All right. So it's purposeful. Okay. Fine. It's purposeful. All right. Why, maybe, why, maybe, why, why, maybe, maybe, I can't. I've, I've racked my brain these past couple of days. I can't. Maybe it's because I'm biased with my, my angst about the whole thing. It just, I can't come up with a plausible reason why a person, okay, let me, let me take a step back. Okay. So if you're, let's just say you're disabled or even if you're not disabled, you are assisting someone that is disabled and you have a, a vehicle that has a disabled placard or a disabled license plate, all right? So if you're a disabled person, society has deemed that it's, it, it, it's an empathetic and an acceptable thing for us to consider your needs a little bit greater than the needs of maybe some of the more able-bodied people out there. So we will give you your own spaces very close to the front entrance give you plenty of room to where it makes it easier for you to deal with the challenges that you're dealing with to get in and out of your vehicle dealing with whatever it is that you're dealing with okay absolutely if as an able-bodied person if you're simply fat as hell and you have bad knees or whatever is I if you're having to pull a wheelchair out or a walker 
or something that need, you need assistance to tr to move from your vehicle into the store, then by all means, that's what those spaces are there for for you. And and we want you to use those because that you deserve to have that consideration. And and quite honestly, I, I'm I'm happy for you. But if you're just the type of person that got somehow some welfare edition of handicap license plate because you don't take care of yourself, you're 400 pounds, 500 pounds, your knees are bad, and you don't need a walker. You don't need a wheel a wheelchair or anything. You can walk just fine from your vehicle into the store. If you have a handicap plaque, or let's just say, and it, no, let me take it step by step, but yet you, you can get out of your vehicle just fine. And you, you can waddle yourself or get yourself into the, the store. That's fine. Still, still, we gave, we gave you, we gave you the handicapped spaces. Please use them. Please feel free to use them. Because if you're the type of person that feels, and then, then the other flip side is, is if you're assisting someone, say, say your mother or father or someone that you know is handicapped, is disabled, and they have the vehicle or the placard or whatever. But they want you to run to the store and you're using their vehicle. Keep in mind, you have the placard. All right? If the spaces are unused, use the damn space. All right? Now, we can have a debate if you're a perfectly fit like me. If I, if I, if I, if I was using someone's vehicle that had the handicap license plate, I probably might not think about using the handicap space because... I'm not handicapped. I'm not, I'm not disabled. And so, okay, 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 fine. I have a handicapped license plate, but I take an able-bodied parking spot. Eh, okay, but I'm leaving the space for those people that are truly in need of more consideration on their parking space. I, I, I can get that one. I can get behind that one. But if you've got a handicapped license plate, and you're going to choose not to use the handicapped spaces, and you're going to use the quote-unquote able-bodied spaces, especially when you're going to use the able-bodied spaces that are right up next to the front of the store. And then, and then, you're going to take two of them? <laughs> oh, that is the type of world we live in. Those are the type of people we live I mean, it is... There, there's the type of people we live in. How self-absorbed, self-centered, narcissistic, uncaring, arrogant, fill in the other adjectives that you want, <coughs> are you that you'll just say, screw everyone else. I'm doing what I want to do at the expense of the, especially the convenience and expense of others. It costs you zero dollars to be a decent human being. And some people want you to believe that they can't simply because they don't qualify for a loan. Give me a break. Give me a break. I did. I just saw that. And I'm like, wow. Like, and that's the problem. And that's the other problem I'm having watching it. Because it's not, it's just not this. I mean, 
you see it at the gas station where you'll you'll watch somebody pull up to a pump and they'll walk in. They'll pull up to the pump and then they'll just walk in. Now, that's fine. Sometimes, okay, maybe you don't have a credit card or maybe you know the the credit card machine isn't working or what whatever it is, you have to go prepay at the pump. And so you walk in You've got to hand the, the the people the card or whatever, and and or have them turn the pump on or whatever. Okay, I understand. And maybe sometimes there's a line there. I hey, I understand that. But if I watch you pull up to the pump, walk in, especially when you put, especially when you're driving a gas vehicle. I have a diesel truck. Okay. You have gas pumps, and then you have gas slash diesel pumps. Oftentimes, there's only one or two gas slash diesel pumps, but there's like a half a dozen gas pumps. Now, the gas diesel pumps are usually on the ends. Why are they on the ends? Usually because we're dealing with big trucks, and oftentimes you're dealing with big trucks pulling big trailers. So you need to have a little bit more flexibility and a little bit more room to move in and out of the gas station. Whereas uh, a gas truck or a gas car doesn't usually end up having to deal with those things. And if they do, they have the end pumps as well. But if you have a small car, you can pull into the middle. So if I see the middle pumps being unused, and then you and your gas car pull up to a diesel pump, gas pump, get out of your car, walk in, I'm going to think, ah, they got to get pre-approval. And I'm going to sit there and wait. And I'm going to sit there and wait. Now, if you come back out and you're like, shit, I, this took a lot, and you go, and you come over and you get the get you, you get the gas can, and you boom, and you and you fill up, and you boom, click, put it back in, and run back. If you're working the pump, like you are, you're in, I'm filling up, and this is what I have to do in order to fill up because there were no other pumps available. Okay, fine. If that's the case, hey, patient is, I am the patient as a saint, but do not walk out of that damn state that with an arm load of Funyuns and Diet Pepsis and pizzas and subs and licorice and everything. Like you you just, you, you went in there and did your weekly grocery shopping. Oh, by the way, oh, I forgot. I still need to fill up my car. Now you're going to fill up your car. And then you're going to go back in. Oh, by the way, now I'm going to go back in. Uh, I need to use a restroom. I'll probably just use move your car out of but that's that's exactly it though how many people are all about themselves just about themselves i want to get mine I, it's it's all about me it's my turn here no one else matters i give zero shits about anyone else i'm going to get mine it's going to be me now why is why, why does this matter on on my page and and my my conversation because it's the exact same idea mindset that we're seeing in the hunting world especially again with turkeys and i again i will continue to to say this i love it please every one of you continue to share those posts with me continue to share you know send me the the number of people like for instance turkey season okay turkey season finally graciously mercifully ended in Kansas on the 31st. And I say that because the 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 outfitters around here, they're still sl- they're they're still out there persecuting the shit out of them. 
right up to the end. Right up to the end. Oh, it's been a tough season. We were out there. We were grinding, but we were able to get it done on this great double of like. No, it wasn't a tough season, dumbass. It, no, it was not a tough season. There were literally no birds around, and so you ground you 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 took a client knowing full well that this area hasn't had any birds in it for weeks. You knowingly took a client into a situation where there was a, a that it was a one percent play on them actually hearing slash seeing a bird, let alone being able to get one on the ground. But yet you still took their money, knowing that there's no birds around. And then for some miraculous on day three, two toms happened to be walking the river bottom, just going from what, I mean, wherever the hell they came from. And just lo and behold, happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And here your clients are, ha ha, boom, boom, both birds dead. Awesome. Really? Really? You know damn well that there's no birds around, but you're going to kill the very last ones for for how far up and down the river bottoms? Completely, from a conservation standpoint, completely irresponsible, if not flat out unethical and disgusting. But nope. I mean, one of you today sent it, it was a, you know, well, no, it was a copper-plated sixes, uh, so someone sent me a, a screenshot of, I think it was a story from Copper Plated Sixes. But yeah, the, the uh, here's a turkey hunter. And literally in in his post says, you know, it's been a tough town that you know, bird numbers are, are, you know, are way down. Uh, predators are way up. Even owls are, are whacking the piss out of, of, of the turkeys. But I, I, I was able to grind it out and I was able to get mine. I was able to get my bird on the ground. And I still have a day and a half left, presumably, to get his his second bird. Like, dude, you've been hunting, what? Like, our season is two months. If you've been out there for two months just struggling to find a bird, to hear a bird, and you finally find a, talking to a, another buddy of mine um, today. I, I I told him, I said, I, I told him, I'm like, man, he relayed the story of his friend that just, he said, nope, I'm done. Because same thing, not knowing, goes out this spring, starts his turkey hunt, not finding birds, not finding birds, not finding birds, starts scratching his head going, man, something's not right here. Not finding birds, goes back. You know, he's a working guy. He, so he has weekends, you know, here and there. And some of those weekends are 80 mile an hour winds. So he's not hunting every day, but you know, he goes a weekend here. He goes a Friday here. He goes, and all of a sudden he's, you know, two thirds of the way through his season. He's like, man, they're not here. And here comes a Jake and a young Tom. Here they come. And he's like, uh, I can't do it. I, 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 I'm not even, I'm not even going to set up on these. I'm not, I'm not even going to make a play. He goes, I, I just feel dirty. I, there's just no way I can do this. I mean, these guys are the last ones on the land. Yes. Yes. You have a, you've got a handful, a handful of animals on the landscape. Some people are going to look at that and go, man, the responsible thing for me to do is to actually embrace what this whole thing is supposed to be about, and that's called conservation. 
Because isn't cons again, what what do we what do we know? Conservation. What is that? What is the definition of conservation? Wise use. So it's consumptive use. It's it's you you're using. It's a it's a consumptive use model, but it's supposed to be wise use. Tell me, you outfitters that are that that were hunting, slugging it through right to the end of May 31st out here, shooting every time that you could get within range. What what part of wise use is that? I'm not and I'm not talking to people in, in other parts of the United States where the turkey population is healthy. Okay. If you if you have a healthy turkey population out there and there's birds all the hey, have a great season. I, those are awesome. I, I I will shake your hand. But when you clearly know, you clearly know that our population has absolutely taken in the shorts and crashed. Exactly where is the wise use of shooting the last time that you know of within miles up and down this river bottom. And quite honestly, you didn't even know that bird existed there until he suddenly magically appeared to where he may not have existed there the entire season. He just might have been wandering through. Great. Because again, what did I talk about before? We got, I got pictures of him today. And again, talking to the buddy of mine that, that lives south of me. There are birds, there's a Tom strutting out in the field with three hens. They should not be doing that right now. Those hens should actually have poults running around. They should be. They should have had their first nest, successfully hatched that nest, and they should be out running around with their little poults right now. And the gobblers, again, there's. I've said this before. There's a reason why when I first started this in 2014, 15, and 16, I did not book any hunts in May, turkey hunts in May. Why? Because the gobblers were on their summer mode. They were already bachelor grouped back up. The only way to kill them was to sit on the edge of the field and just sniper them, sluice them, because they were they were completely they were unresponsive to turkey calls. They they didn't care. They were on summer mode. They were done breeding. All the hens were nesting, and they and the the hens were hatching poults. Now, I've got I've got toms strutting for hens in in my food plots right now, and they're going to continue to do so. Until our landscape between, until the the soybean and the corn is up tall enough, and or our kosher and everything else, all the native vegetation is tall enough to actually give them enough landscape where they can disappear and go unnoticed by the raccoons and possums and skunks. Oh my! This year, given how late everything's being planted, I'll bet you any money we have poults running around in early August. Not absolutely not exaggerating. Uh, a couple years ago, the I was getting. I was, this is before I went to elk season. It was middle to end of August, um, getting stuff kind of like just stabilized and just kind of prepped for when I got back from elk season. I could just rock and roll and get everything lined up. Group of turkey poults that were barely able to flutter up into the low branches of some shrubs and some uh, nearby trees low-lying limbs on nearby trees, which tells me they're about 10 days old. And that's the third week of August. So they hatched out in the beginning of August, which means they were, that nest, finally that hen late sat on that nest, started incubating that nest in the beginning of July, early part of July, which means she was breeding 
and she was out there laying eggs through the month of June, the, at least the last half of June. Let's say she had 14 eggs. So an egg a day, she started laying that next nest June 15th, roughly, let's say, June 20th, got her full clutch by the end of June, beginning of July, sat on that, or, or well, hell, it could have even been June 20th to June 25th, sat on that nest through the bulk of July, finally hatched those little ones out at the end of July, beginning of August, to where, well, and I, like I said, it's the third week of August, so bump that all back, but she literally could have been legitimately laying eggs end of June, beginning of July, finally setting that, incubating that nest beginning of July. First two weeks of July. I mean, she's got to have a Tom available to breed her. But some of these people, I mean, and it's not just out here. I'm, I mean, obviously I get to see all the guys that are doing it out here, uh, which just freaking sucks, pisses me off. That's why we're doing all the habitat changes we're doing on our place. But across, I mean, just across the range of turkeys where turkey numbers are, are abysmal, it, it, it's it's almost like it's it's all or nothing. It's either somebody, either people are shutting, and I've I've been messaged by a couple of you, and I've had posts shared by a couple of people saying, no, other outfitters did the same thing this year. They just canceled their hunts, just rolled everybody over to next year. And kudos to you, man. I mean, um, if if you're an outfitter a guide service that that did that like me trust me i i have i have respect for you to, in doing that and i know damn well how 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 much that sucked because i mean that's that's part of your income i mean again for us i pay for a lot of the deer stuff with the turkey income and then the deer income then rolls around and helps pay for some of the turkey stuff. It just kind of round. Well, we don't have turkey income this year. Does that mean we're not going to do any deer stuff? Well, no. I can't, we can't not continue the momentum. But it just means now it's just going to be out of pocket. And now our deer stuff has to pay for both turkey and deer, which means that's just less money in the bank account for paying bills. It's just all getting rolled over into habitat habitat stuff, which doesn't usually make spouses very happy, right? Um, but it is what it is. So it's either either you see it all or nothing. Either people shut things down and just did not hunt, or it's just like they were all in and like, holy shit, man, I'm we're out here, we're gonna grind it. And it was like this epic, you know, monumental task that they were able to overcome. And this this they're a hero because they were able to finally, you know, shoot a turkey in the waddles, bouncing wads off of waddles on a on a bird after hunting for a month and a half and and not finding any birds yeah don't because the birds weren't around Ugh. but anyway that but again as long as they get theirs right it's like the guy the, like the person parking in the parking lot i don't give a shit about you i don't care whether or not you want need a place up next to the front door i don't care whether you know the parking lot's getting full and there's a lack of spaces I have the ability to utilize a space set aside for people like me. I have the handicapped spot. But you know what? Screw you. I don't need your charity. I don't need your parking space. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to take this spot right out of the middle. And I'm going to, so rather than, so 
not only am I, am I not going to take one of the spaces that you've earmarked and given me, I'm going to take one of your spaces. No, no, no. I'm not going to take one of your I'm going to take two of your spaces. That, that's a whole nother level of, of, like I said, shittery. That is just not, not it, just, it just drives me nuts. But the same thing in, the, in a hunting world. The number of people that are just like, I don't give a shit. I don't care if I tank the population. I don't care if I shoot the last turkey within a four to five mile radius around here. I don't care if I shoot him in the face. I'll get mine. I'll get my bird. And given the fact that I have two tra- two tags, I'm going to shoot this bird, and then I'm going to go out for the next day and a half or next week or whatever it was. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to hunt, and I'm going to find another one. Oh, guess what? I found a Jake, and I shot him in the face. Well, bully for you, man. Like, what about like what what about everyone else on the landscape that would like to turkey hunt on their properties to experience a good turkey hunt in the future years? Like, it would be nice to be able to have a future turkey population and not have to rely on the National Wild Turkey Federation and the state to end up, you know, five years from now when there's no turkeys on the landscape, somebody decides, oh, well, this is a critical, well, let's do a trap and transplant effort and we'll try to get turkeys back out here. Why did we, why? Because we ever, because no one could just say, I'm going to do the right thing and not kill every last freaking bird. Especially if I can, I'm going to kill every last bird just so I can make a quick buck now. As opposed to, how about I don't make a quick buck now and put that buck in the bank and maybe put it on hold so that way I have more money next year, more birds next year, and the year after, and the year after, and the year after. I'm not even talking about those people that, I'm not even talking about investing in habitat like we're doing. No, how about you just don't shoot every freaking last bird that's out there on the landscape? It's going to be interesting. So for those that have reached out and, and wanted to know, I have no idea what Kansas is going to do. Um, talking with a biologist, talking with the game wardens around here, they have been raising the red flag. They've been sending stuff up to this headquarters saying that this is that things need to change. Uh, the, he- the head shed apparently is reluctant to make any changes. I, I don't see how... In Kansas, I, I'm not going to speak to Nebraska. I'm not going to speak to Oklahoma. I'm not going to speak to anywhere else. I don't know your states. I, I trust you when you say that your populations are doing the same and they're and they're they're in, you know I, I don't know. I don't know your situation. All I know is is a, a fairly sizable area around me in Northwest Kansas. I don't know how the state of Kansas, in good conscience, could maintain a two bird limit next year. Quite honestly, and this is the God's honest truth, and I mean this sincerely, I don't know how the state in good conservation conscience can actually run a turkey hunt next a season up here next year. I really on this is somebody that's telling you I I want opportunity. I want people in the field. I want kids and new hunters and everyone else to be able to go out there and have a blast. That's what I'm about. I don't see how responsibly... I don't see how the state doesn't make it a limit. Let's put it this way. So they don't close down the season. I don't see how it doesn't become a limited draw. Like, legitimately, it's a limited draw. 
to where they make it to where it's no longer over the counter unlimited tags. It's this this region has a quota of 100 birds or or 50 50 birds. That's probably better. You know, this you know unit unit 1 has a quota of 50 birds and you have to apply for them. I think that would be absolutely warranted in this situation. Um, but who knows what they're going to do? I, I I have no idea. And I and I say I don't have any idea because there have been people that have been clamoring about we should not have a two bird limit in Northwest Kansas, um, and and they've maintained a, a two bird unit. Now, with that being said, Kansas has always had this kind of slow to react type of. Uh, I, I remember when I was first start when when Kurt and I, uh, and then John were first starting to hunt out here when I, especially when I was first starting to hunt out here, um, Northwest Kansas was a one bird only unit and unit one was a young, uh, for Turkey unit one was, and for those listening, it's not a game management unit. They, so unit one is not unit one for deer and turkeys and everything. No, you have deer units, and then you have turkey units. Okay, so turkey unit one is like this gargantuan northwest part of the state. Turkey unit one was a one bird unit. The rest of the state was a two bird unit. And the dividing line was just east of here. And so where our friends had property, I could shoot one bird. We could shoot one bird. But if we went over highway, uh, 183, we could go shoot a second bird. And so there was public land on the two bird side where we could go and travel and and kill our second bird. The turkey population started to grow, grow immensely in the Northwest part in that turkey unit one. And a lot of hunters were clamoring saying, we need to be a two bird unit. We ought to be a two bird unit. We ought to be a two bird unit. And the state was very slow to make that change. Finally, they made that change, and it was just awesome. So the statewide, it was a two-bird unit. Well, then turkey population started to, to, to decline to the point where across the rest of Kansas, it became a one-bird unit. But for some reason, they left northwest Kansas as a two-bird unit. Well, what do you think happened? Everybody, their brother's uncle, piled into the northwest part of the state to get their second bird and just hammered the piss out of the birds. Okay, so now we're at a stage where we really ought to be back down to a one-bird unit if if, if not making it a, a, a quota system. It doesn't surprise me that the state has been slow to make that change. I just hope that in 2023 they do. Because I, I don't see how it's sustainable without other than just pure fraud. Like from a state level, selling licenses, fraud. You know damn well you don't have the birds to support two birds to market the tur- turkey hunting in Northwest Kansas as some great mecca that where you're going to have a two bird unit and then leave them over the counter unlimited as though you've got birds everywhere. And you're going to sell licenses to people that have no hope or prayer of even seeing a bird, let alone shooting one in the face. I hope, I hope, I mean, at a minimum, they need to to, to make it a one-bird unit. 
I'm hoping that they they consider making it a, a, a limited quota just to give our, our ourselves a buffer. Now, that goes to another one of the questions that, that one of you sent in to me and, and, uh, and you posted, uh, you commented on one of my posts, Instagram posts, and you asked for, for my operation and the area around me, what I talked about the raccoons, I talked about the habitat changes and all that type of stuff. I did forget uh, in the, the previous podcast, I did forget to talk about the changes in hunting. So that was a good call. Uh, very, very warranted question. Um, so when we first started, when I first started, there were no other outfitters around me and there really were no other families that hunted around me for turkeys. Not seriously. And so we were the only, Row Hunting Resources was the only one that was really um, creating any sort of mortality for the mature toms. Now, again, remember back in that day, we were talking winter wheat. I mean, we had high high turkey population, uh, good good cover on the on the landscape, um, good nest success, et cetera. Everything was everything was rocking and rolling, jiving. It was just right after the state had finally decided to make it a two bird unit, and it was warranted back then because we had birds everywhere. We the the hunts that I was running with row hunting resources was largely the only mortality on the landscape for a. a fair number of miles radius around the, the core of our properties. With that being said, even during the heyday of the the turkey population, I always had a policy of for each area, well, each roost site or or grouping or population of birds, um never to take more than 50% of the mature toms that I saw on the landscape. I'd never counted jakes. Jakes were irrelevant. Some years we'd have, I mean, literally there, I've got videos and we had clients coming in where, you know, there was times we had 15 jakes come into the decoy spread. I never counted the jakes. I, I jakes or jakes, whatever. My assessment was a preseason was always in the winter, late winter, January and February and Mar- early March was always, what are we looking at as far as mature toms? Two-year-old birds are better. Do, do they have a full fan? That's what I wanted to know. How many full fan birds or birds that have a, a big old beard, you know, something eight inches or better, okay? So I know it's a two-year-old bird at least. How many of those mature birds do we have on the landscape? Once I got a good feel, a good count of what we dealt with, I would then book hunts and I would book them to where if our hunters were 100% successful, which that is usually our, I mean, up until this past year, these past couple years, no, our adults were all successful last year. The kids, one of the youth uh, was not. But anyway, this year was the first year where adult was not successful on on a shotgun hunt. Um, did and I and when I say successful, had no shot opportunity. That that's the thing that just absolutely crushes me. Normally, I have a hundred percent. Normally, it's a hundred percent shot opportunity and like ninety nine point nine percent success rate on we're putting birds on the ground. Okay, because we're calling them in, we're decoying them in. They're they're working a decoy spread set. I'm there with a the hunter. I'm coaching them through. We're it. We're a team, and and it's a. It's a solid quality hunt, and I do put a heavy, massive focus on 100% shot opportunity, 
and quite honestly, me, unless you just flat miss 100% uh, success rate, filling your tags, okay? These past couple years are the first time where that's not happened. And this is the first year. This is the first year where we had a hunter that had no, no shot opportunity. None. So to answer your question on my hunting, that's where it's been. Two things. Number one, it's always been no more than 50% of the mature birds that I know about, that I know about on the landscape. Okay. Now, obviously, if I count 20 birds in an area, 20 mature toms across these property, my properties, and there ends up being 30 birds out there. Okay, well, that's fine. But I'm looking at, I counted 20 birds. That's as most number of birds that I know that we have. I'm not going to book any more than 10 hunters. Excuse me, sorry. There's 20 birds that I know of. That means 10 birds. I can take 10 birds. In the past, it was I could take 10 birds out of that, that, that area that I'm surveying, which means no more than five hunters if they each want to do two bird limit. Now, oftentimes, I would limit people to one bird anyway because A, more people get to enjoy a turkey hunt. B, it makes more money for me to, you know, how I structure my my fees. But regardless, no more than 10 birds are hitting the... I'm, I'm going to sell tags. I'm going to sell a hunt to where no more than 10 birds are going to be hopefully dead out of that particular area. If there ends up being 30 birds in there, okay, well, then I've got extra. Okay, they'll, they'll hopefully carry over to the next year. And then next year, and that's the other thing. Part two of that is... I never book a turkey hunt until January or February, oftentimes it's February, of the year I'm actually going to hunt. I know that a lot of the area outfitters around me now, I mean, they're already booked for next year. Well, how how did you sell a hunt for next year when you don't even know what birds you have? I mean, you didn't even you didn't even have birds this year to hunt. What in the world? How are you selling a hunt based on what? What are you selling? Air, like the uh, the a figment of an imagine a hope. How many times have we heard hope is not a strategy? That a lot of the outfitters around here that's what they're selling. They're selling hope. They're they're selling they're they're selling that this figment of an an idea that there's going to be birds there and you're going to have a good hunt and they're just freaking hoping and praying. No way. I've never had the conscience in order to do that. So for me, to the second part of that question was, I would never book our hunts until January or February. Oftentimes it was February, and I and I say February because January, um, January we usually this is just a little side. Out here, January, we usually have a, it's been warm these past winters, okay? So this is a little bit different. But in the past, we'd have a, you know, your typical winter and the birds would be all flocked up. So you'd have your bachelor groups of toms and then you'd have your hens and poults and jakes off into some other place. But the batch, excuse me, the bachelor groups of toms would be off on their own. Well, you'd come into January and we'd get this January thaw where all of a sudden you'd get, 
days in the 60s and 70 degrees in January. Well, because the daylight is starting to increase, the toms would just go apeshit. Sorry to say it. They'd be gobbling. And you'd literally see them out there strutting. They'd be picking each other. They'd be chasing each other around, getting their pecking orders established. But you'd, you'd see them out there strutting. They'd be fanned out. You'd, I mean, you could see their beards clearly by this time. So, you'd, I mean, you'd see a bachelor group. I'm, I'm remembering one of the best ones that I had uh, was one of our North properties. Yeah, there was like 30 or 35 mature toms in one bachelor group in January. I mean, some of these birds had 10, 11-inch beards, just massive big old beards on. But there's 30, 35 birds in one big flock. That's a good count. I'm like, bam, okay, there's 35, there's 30 birds up here. I January was the best time to count them because you could get out in the morning and they would gobble on the roost on those nice warm days and you know where the, the, the bachelor group is. And if you could get yourself in a position where you could glass them, you could just sit there and count them. It was perfect. It was beautiful. And so you knew, you knew darn well exactly how many birds you were dealing with. And then I could, cause I, every, I'm getting people year round that, t- you know, send me an email and be like, Hey, can I get on your list for, you know, I want to, I want to come and turkey hunt. What do you got? And I'll tell them, I'm like, all right, here's what we do. Here's all the information It's on the website. You can go to the website and find out all the information. All the details are there. I don't hide anything. Prices, day, all, all of it's on the website. Go to rowhuntingresources.com, go to guided hunts, go to turkey and just go through all of that stuff. It's all right there. I don't, you don't have to contact me to get any, any hidden information to get you on a mailing list or whatever. No, people are constantly sending me email. And what I send them back is I'm like, Hey, yep. Awesome. I can put you on the list. I don't book hunts until January, February. So what I'll do is I'll put you on the list and come January, January, February, I'm going to reach out to you. And if you're still interested, boom, send your deposit. Let's just, we'll, we'll rock and roll. First come first serve. Boom, down the list you go, send me your deposit, I'll get you on the schedule and we'll go. But that way I knew the exact number of birds that were coming into the actual spring season that I was actually going to be killing them. Now, what happened? Obviously, we have an outfitter. We've got outfitters. we got one outfitter around us that hunts all our, our fence lines. And then we've got other outfitters in the area as well. They run their own program and I'll just leave it at that. Um, and and quite honestly, most of them don't live here. They're from somewhere else, and so they're not out here monitoring. They they don't know. They they don't. They show up, and they show up before season. They put the corn piles out. They put the game cameras up. They put the ground blinds out, and they just they've already booked the hunts. So they just start put. They just here we go running running hunters through. Um, likewise. We now have different families. So land ownership has changed on a couple parcels around us, um, as well as family dynamic of some of the, well, namely some of the kids. The young kids are now in their teenage years and they are liking to hunt or wanting to hunt. And so we have two things. We have families that live out here, farmers that have families, that have kids that want to hunt, that are starting to hunt their own properties. And then we also have families that have purchased ground um, that, you know, they're absentee landowners, but they're buying that ground because they want hunting ground. And so they live somewhere else and they just show up out here during hunting season uh, to go hunting. Again, they don't live here. 
So they don't know what the population is. They don't know. They they're not out here monitoring. They have no idea the the uh, the ebbs and flows and highs and lows of 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 the populations, deer, or turkey, pheasant, or otherwise. They just show up to come hunt. Now, I'm not criticizing that. It it's their land. I mean, that's what they bought the land for. But it is what it is. We have more people on the landscape now hunting. I've talked about this in the past. One of the things I had to do because of that was starting to hedge my bets on, okay, let's take a, that that situation where we had 20 toms uh, on this particular chunk of the river corridor. Well, now there's, and well, at this point, I, I'm, I'm thinking of one chunk of, of real estate on the Solomon River. If I go from west to east, it's four miles. All of a sudden, we had two outfitters besides what I was running and then a family that purchased ground and then family, farmer family that wanted to hunt ground. That's a wildly different scenario on numbers of hunters. I have no idea what the outfitters are going to do. All I can assume is they're just going to, they're going to stack hunter based on what I've seen in the past, the performance in the past, they're just going to stack hunters in there. If, if five times continually walk out in that field, they're going to put hunters in that ground blind until all five of those toms are dead. Now, if that means all five, there's only five toms within a four mile stretch. Okay. Or if there's 25 toms in this four mile stretch and these five toms are out in this field, they're going to shoot them in the face. It doesn't matter. They're going to shoot them in the face. One situation, it's a minor uh, component of the of the population. In the other situation, like this year, it might be 100% of the population done, gone, out. Okay, so I don't know what they're going to do. All I can do is all I can go off as past performance. Likewise, the the neighboring families, the absentee landowners. I know you know the father hunts, the kids hunt. Um, sometimes the the mother hunts. Um, and it's and it's more than one family, but I don't know what they're going to do. Are they going to show up? You know, like I, one of my neighbors, uh, the 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 family that owns the house that we use as our guest house, he comes out and he hunts. He's got friends that hunts. He's got his kids that hunt. But these past couple of years, they just life has gotten the way where they haven't hunted at all. But at any moment, he could show up with two, three, four people and each one of them have a bunch of tags. So I'm saying all that because I moved from going from, I won't shoot more than 50% of the birds. I went down to, and then, you know, talk, listening to what Dr. Chamberlain and and Lashley and some of these other uh, researchers have come back at with their hypothesis of maybe only 10 to 20% of the birds should actually be harvested out of a population. I've started to, I, several years ago now, started throttling my hunts back to where I'm like, okay. It doesn't matter we have 20 mature toms roosting on or on my, you know, between me and and my buddy, okay? There's a bunch of people that are probably going to whittle at these things. So maybe what we'll do is we'll take four, you know, three or four birds out of this group. And then we'll just monitor and if I'm not seeing, if like the families don't show up or if the families kill their birds early or whatever, or the, or the family's not going to hunt or the outfitter's not, you know, booking hunts or the outfitter doesn't have any people over here or whatever, 
starts getting towards the end of the season and we still have a piss pile of birds running around, okay, maybe I'll go back in and maybe we'll take one or two more. But it, it turned into where I was having to throttle back the number of hunts I was running just to basically give myself a buffer around what everyone around me was likely going to be doing. So I haven't been running as many hunts as what we used to do, even when we had birds here. So that was a good question. So for us, I, I mean, t- to the point of, of the question was, you know, what what is, has changed on the hunting landscape? It it's, There's no two ways about it. There's a lot more hunting pressure out there. Um, some years more than others, but it's definitely, definitely changed. So we know that we're, at, you know, again, like I've talked about, other people have talked about, mortality of mature gobblers oftentimes seems to be heavily more uh, leaning towards being additive mortality, meaning every bird we shoot is just a bird off the landscape that might not have, that that quite likely could have survived another year or two uh, and been available later on for breeding and or hunting later on. But we shoot them in the face. Well, we just pulled them off the landscape. There's no guarantee that those jakes that we have out there this year are going to, you know, continue to, to thrive. So anyway, hunting pressure has definitely changed. That is for sure. And it definitely has changed since, uh, as far as the region goes, it's definitely changed, uh, since we got the two bird unit designation. That's the other thing too, is when this part of the state was a one bird, um, area a lot of the outfitters did not want to spend money on leasing ground in this area because it wasn't cost uh it 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 wasn't there was no cost benefit to it because you could only shoot one bird a lot of hunters again this is i'm sorry i i know i'm i'm I, i feel myself changing with my value sets and my attitudes but there were a lot of hunters that would say, I'm not going to go hunt a one bird unit when I can go hunt a two bird unit. Why? Because I want to shoot two birds in the face. Okay, well, do you need to shoot two birds in the face? No, I just want to shoot two birds in the face. And if the state's going to let me shoot two birds in the face, I'm going to shoot two birds in the face because it's freaking awesome. Chris Rose guilty. I love shooting birds in the face. I love shooting turkeys in the face. I think they're a bird. I think they're an animal that was designed by God, to be shot in the face. I don't care whether it's a shotgun or the, just, there's just something about spring turkey hunting and shooting a turkey in the face. I, it's just a, it's a fun hunt. And I was the guy that always wanted to get two birds. And if I could get a double, especially with a bow, it was just, it was just awesome. I, I, I'm guilty of it. But anyway, when the state changed and made this a two-bird unit, suddenly you saw now there was a massive, it was like a gold rush of outfitters moving in saying, hell yeah, now it makes sense. We can book hunts. We can lease ground and book hunts for people wanting to shoot two birds, especially up in Northwest Kansas because you're not too far away from Nebraska. To where you could have you have outfitters that will market a Kansas Nebraska where you can go you can go after a Rio and then you can go after a, a Merriams depending on where you are in Nebraska so or you just have a, a a five bird hunt where it's two birds in Kansas and three birds in Nebraska 
I mean, it just it just seems like a free for all, and it's like this is gonna be great, you know. And it, 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 during the heyday, it was. But regardless, things have definitely changed. And and then during COVID, that man, a, a huge again again. So a lot more people were out uh, in the field, and I don't remember if it was the year before or it doesn't matter when the when the state went to a one bird unit or one bird limit in the bulk of the state and then this area remained the two bird unit like i said the 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 just the the or the uh just the number of hunters that flooded in because they wanted to get that second bird um was was crazy so yes to your question hunting pressure has definitely changed definitely changed now this year um didn't see as many hunters out there. And I, and I think that's just because you, there's just no birds. Um, there's just no birds. And it's, and that's the beautiful thing about it is it's not just me saying this random people, random landowners, uh, friends of mine that I have out here that are, that, that are wildlife or hunting oriented or whatever. And that, you know, that's not their livelihood. This is not their business. They're not trained in anything other than they like to go hunt. And they, the number of people that are pulling up next to the, next to the house out here and be like, Hey, have you noticed that? Um, <laughs> yeah, I've noticed. I've been talking about it. Damn it! Um, everybody's noticing it. It's just, it's, it's that stark of a of a difference. So I don't know. I don't. Hunting has changed, and I, I don't know what the state is going to do. So we'll 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 just table that for right now. Um, I, I will. I, I mean, I guess we can table most of our turkey stuff. Uh, well, other than other than, let, let me just go. I guess hit, again. Again, it, it ties into, and yes, sorry, I've got two things. I might, might just jump back and forth between. <clears throat> so yeah, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm serious that that you know I, I've got to, I'm going to make it. I'm going to start put, put posting it out there. You know, is you know hashtag is hunting conservation. Um, yes, I understand that. Oh, you know, activists are going to be saying, okay, that's fine that the activists might be saying that, or the anti-hunters might be saying that, but shouldn't, from an ethical standpoint, from a, from a conservation standpoint, from a North American model wildlife conservation standpoint, shouldn't hunters be the first ones questioning, you know, their hunting practices and hunting efforts and, and what they're doing on the landscape from a conservation standpoint? Shouldn't we be the ones that are showing that leadership? I'm going to have a conversation uh, with someone else uh, about maybe some leadership stuff here. Hunting leadership in the hunting in, in the in the conservation environmental world, and and just why I'm I'm disappointed that I don't see hunters being more of leaders. But we'll we'll table that one. But it does it, it, again. We go back to the car in the parking lot of the grocery store. The people, you know the just this this self-centered arrogant narcissistic uh basically I give zero shits about anybody else but myself and I'm going to get mine and I'm going to get mine regardless of how that affects anyone else around me and I think that's the one that really just chaps my ass the most is I'm going to get mine okay fine go ahead get yours you know the state you know when we're talking turkeys the state made it legal. The state is allowing you to do so, and the state's not doing anything about it. Okay, well, yeah, is it legal for you to do so? Sure. Should you? 
my value set says no. But when you're going to sit there and say, I'm going to get mine and I give zero shits how it affects you, whether or not we have turkeys in the future, and I don't care how it affects anyone else on the landscape, as long as I get mine now, I'm sorry. No, I I, I can't get behind that. If, you, if you're willing to screw everyone else around you just so you can get your own little, your personal, your short-term personal gratification, nah, I got, I got nothing. I got, I got no... I've got nothing for you. I've got no sympathy for you. I've got no consideration for you whatsoever. Hey, and and, and I think fair is fair. If you if you have zero consideration for anyone anyone else around you, and the future of of all this that we love, well, then why should you get any consideration? You you brought it on yourself. Anyway, it which then ties into the aflatoxin. So I I, I posted today. Uh, National Deer Association posted again. Again, I've talked about it in the past. <clears throat> the Southeast Deer Study Group had some presentations by master students. There's all sorts of presentations, but there was a uh, presentation by a student researcher looking at aflo- aflatoxin. Aflatoxin is a toxic substance created by a fungus, a type of fungus. And that type of fungus gets into all sorts of type of feed. But it's definitely related to corn. And aflatoxin causes problems with ruminants like deer and cattle. But it also has been shown now, more and more research is coming out, where it's seriously a problem for birds. And when you look at the industry, and I and I posted this on the Instagram post, was, you know, we've got a lot of people, especially the outfitters, that are out here just running corn piles. They, they throw out a corn pile, they put up a game camera, they put up a ground blind, and here we go, we're going to hunt the corn pile. Same thing with deer. Deer season, uh, for whatever, I don't know what, again, Kansas, the, the state of Kansas is slow to react. And even though we have chronic wasting disease and we have deer population issues, have they shut down baiting and feeding and all that? Nope, nope, nope. So for the deer hunts, a lot of people just run a big bait pile and put a game camera on it, put a ground blind or tree stand over it and just shoot whatever walks in or hope that, hope that they can shoot whatever walks in. The problem is aflatoxin has major implications on overall health and fitness of both deer and turkeys. And oftentimes, the, or at least what I've seen so far, the threshold in which that toxic substance produced by that fungus the threshold that is going to negatively affect a turkey or negatively affect a deer is lower than what is standard acceptable in the cattle industry. Why is that relevant? Most of the outfitters and most of the families that are out here running bait piles are buying corn from the local grain co-ops and the local uh, elevators. I've talked to the senior management of the, the grain elevators that are in this area. And he's, they've, there is aflatoxin in this area. And when they get corn coming in in the, in the fall, when they're going through harvest, corn comes in, they test it, for the level of aflatoxin in that that load of corn. Sometimes that it's it's not detected. Sometimes it's extremely, extremely low detection. 
you know, and don't quote me on this. I believe, if I remember correctly, I believe 100 parts per million is what they have. They, they, they're, I don't, I think there's a, a threshold of 100 parts per million that they cannot exceed and sell um, out of that grain elevator. So they have to make sure that whatever corn that they sell you cannot exceed 100 parts per million in aflatoxin. So what do they do? They're testing the corn as it's coming through, coming in. And the the really the really good stuff that, that has very, very low or almost no aflatoxin in it goes in one place. And then you might get some corn load that comes in and man, it's hot. It's it's 200 parts per million aflatoxin or more. Well, they can't sell that corn straight out as cattle feed or any sort of feed. But what they can do is they they can say, okay, well, that's at 200, but I've got this stuff over here that's sitting at, you know, five or 10 parts per million. What I can do is blend that corn to where I can achieve like a 95 or a 98 parts per million mix that can go in the elevator because now it's below the 100 parts per million threshold. So that's what they do. They're testing the corn coming in. They're figuring out what the aflatoxin load is on that. <clears throat> and then they're formulating their mix to keep it at least no more than 100 parts per million. Well, what does that mean? That means they're not testing for wildlife considerations, number one. They don't, that's irrelevant to them. This is about cattle. If you're buying corn for deer and turkeys, that's on you. They're looking at cattle thresholds, not wildlife thresholds, number one. Number two, that fungus, that toxin is in that corn. If you put that corn out on the landscape and that you have warm conditions, that fungus can start to ramp up and grow again and, pr- and crank out more aflatoxin, which... Okay, so you bought the corn and it was sitting at 98 parts per million. Now you put it in a corn pile and it sits out there in a week of warm weather. And now that corn pile is sitting there at what? 200 parts per million or more? Like I said in my post, that is another thing that has changed on the landscape out here with our turkeys. And as far as our, as far as I'm concerned with our deer, we have more people more outfitters out here that are running bait piles because it's cheap and easy. Cheap and easy. Likewise, we have non-resident absentee landowners that aren't putting the time and money into effective food plots. We, I mean, they come out and they'll, they'll do the scratch and scatter and they'll make it look like they're doing a food plot and then it turns into a bunch of weeds. You look on their social media, you know, social media page and it looks like they're doing a whole bunch of stuff and out on the landscape, it's abysmal, but regardless, it's easy to go buy a load of corn, a load of yellow helper, and throw it out there. Because damn it, if deer don't freaking love it. And and raccoons. Okay? So you're we have a lot more people. When I first started out here, there was like no one put out corn. Like no one. So that has been a massive change uh, in the spring and in the fall 
on the landscape out here as well. Now, like I said in my social media post, correlation is not causation necessarily. So just because two things happen at the same time uh, doesn't mean one caused the other. However, it's damn well a freaking bullet in the magazine of the damn gun. You know, it, it may not be the smoking gun that, that's causing the turkey to climb, but it's damn sure a bullet in the magazine of that damn gun. Okay? So that's why I posted that. Again, I'm going to keep ham- hammering the aflatoxin. The state's not going to do anything about it. At least they haven't yet. In the, even in the face of chronic wasting disease, you can still bait and you can still feed and you whatever. Hey, state can do what the state wants to do. It's, it's the state's prerogative, right? It's the, the state manages the wildlife for the people of the state. Well, the state has deemed that feeding and baiting and all those things, oh my, are just fine. Whether they are or not, I don't know. Again, aflatoxin, definitely something to consider that a lot of people out here just don't. And I think it just, it's not, I, I some of it, at, I have spoken of this now multiple times, and I know there are certain people listening to me speak that are out here that should be changing their behavior based on what I'm saying, that they may or may not, I don't know. But regardless, there's a lot of people that just don't know about this stuff. So that's why I'm going to continue to share that stuff on social media. That's why I'm going to talk about it on the podcast because it just more people just need to be aware that this could be a problem. All right. Especially when we're dealing with winters that are warmer, longer, where we don't have that cold, freezing temperature to shut down that fungus to shut down that aflatoxin productivity or production. You know what I mean? So anyway. All right. I think we're, other than what I'm going to talk about in the future about some of our habitat stuff, we've got a bunch of stuff going on. I've got to get out there and I got to fix the drill and I've got to start planting uh, starting next week. I'll talk about some of the changes we're going to do on our habitat management. Uh, We're going to completely change. Again, I mentioned this before. We're going to flip it. I'm, we're going to be focused on turkey and pheasant habitat. We're going to f- focus less on our deer-specific uh, type of stuff. There's going to be a lot of good overlap between the two, but we're we're going to we're going to really focus on turkey nesting and brood habitat and just food. We're just we're just we're going to see if we can't at least around us. I obviously the outfitters and the families around us are going to benefit from our efforts. It'd be nice if they pitched in and put some money on the ground to, to move the needle in a positive direction as well, but I can't make them do it. So we're going to do what we can do and change our management protocol. So that type of stuff I will talk about in the future, but turkey season's done. It is what it is. We'll see what ends up happening next year. I'll give you reports on if we start seeing any turkey bolts running around. Hopefully we do. Uh, I can just all I'll say is one last thing is, yeah, we, we've got hens that are running around the landscape. Uh, with gobblers out there strutting, so it tells me that they've lost their nest yet again, and they're on probably nest. They're probably trying to 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 start nest number three by now. Um, yeah, there's not there's not going to be any change in in our raccoon population anytime soon. Unfortunately, I don't think. So, with that being said, it's June, ladies and gentlemen. It's freaking June. How in the hell is it June already? I was talking with a friend of mine. Her birthday's tomorrow. I thought I didn't think it was anyway. I I had my days. I I completely lost track of days, and so I was talking to her today, and she's like, "Yeah, birthday's tomorrow." I'm like, "Shit!" I, I thought I still I thought we still had a couple days. Nope. Uh-uh. 
Uh, it's June already, people. It's freaking June already. So that means a lot of you, I, I know a lot of you have already been engaged in getting your elk season prep stuff going because I've helped some of you. Uh, but this is usually when that big push happens. June, July, August, man, everybody goes all in on elk. And that's why I do change. I start shifting a lot of my focus back over onto the website, back onto the Elk Hunting Institute, the elk module on the website. And no different for this year. This is when we start kicking things off. So again, on Saturday in the Kansas City area, Lawrence, Kansas, uh, John Overton's Overton's Archery Center, uh, Saturday night, doors open 6, kick it off at 7. We'll have a seminar, kick things off like we usually do. Uh, talking about those things that are just absolutely sabotaging your success in the field in the fall despite what you're doing now, despite your preseason efforts, especially as, with as much information as available to you now in the offseason and, and what a lot of you guys and gals are doing to get yourselves prepped for the offseason. Man, there's some things that um, you the first time you walk into the field and engage, you, you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot. So we're going to tackle some of those things that are, that are keeping you from you know, basically moving the needle on your success in the fall each year, uh, despite what you're doing um, in your off-season prep. So we're going to kick that off on this upcoming Saturday, June 4th. June 4th? Is that that what it is? Good. Yeah. I'm telling you, I've lost all semblance of... So it's Thursday today. So tomorrow's the third Friday, June 4th, Saturday. Bam. Yes. Two days from now. Uh... 7 p.m., be there, be square. Hope to see you there. Uh, look forward to talking with you, visiting with you, uh, answering anybody's questions because we'll stay like like at usual. I try to keep it to an hour or two, and then we just turn everything open to questions and answers after that, questions after that. So, um, yeah, hope to see you there. Um, but with the website, uh, let me just touch on a couple things that uh, usually come up this time of year, and sure enough, I've had a couple com- questions come in, and it, by all means, if you if you log in, if you're wanting to log in or subscribe to uh, Roll Hunting Resources Elk Module, the Elk Hunting Institute, um, let's just touch on a couple things real quick because it's a pretty if if you're used to computers and used to online type of subscriptions and logging ins, it, it it makes sense. Some of you are not, and that's fine. Everything's everybody tries stuff. Yeah, Everybody's a newbie at some point in their lives on different things. So one of the questions that comes up all the time when when you go there, obviously we've got different levels of things that you can subscribe to. Okay. So you got a quarterly membership, you got a yearly membership, you got it just for the elk, you got it for everything. There's a variety of things that you can subscribe to. But when you go through and subscribe, follow, okay, just just follow the prompts. Just click on it and it just fill out the fields. Number one. When you fill out your email address, just be careful that you type it slow so that you type it correctly. We get so used to typing our email address, so sometimes we go, and we just, we just pound it out. And you may not realize you just flipped two letters. Now, if you're, if you're, if you're sending an email to someone else or whatever, but, you know, make, 
maybe they can navigate around it. Maybe they know who you are. Maybe they make it work or whatever. When you're logging into a site that has no clue who you who you are or that you even exist, all it knows it's it's we use a, a web hosting service that basically um, a lot of this is automated and it makes it very nice because it's good to track stuff and it's it's great for customer service type of stuff. But it, it's a computer deal, so garbage in, garbage out, quality in, quality out. So if you inadvertently mistype your email address there's going to be all sorts of foobard you're going to you're going to contact us we're going to have to go in we're going to have to manually look at it that's fine we will we will do that but don't get frustrated okay just sometimes all of a sudden you don't get an email back and you can't log in and it's like what the hell's going on this is a bunch of and what it you either kelly or me but oftentimes kelly she goes in and she's like yeah is your email such and such? And you're like, oh, no, I, I meant it. I meant it. No, it's IE, not EI. I'm like, well, okay, well, there you go. You, you just you mistyped your email address. So just take your time, type your email address in correctly. Okay. Now, depending on the pay, we haven't had really many pay issues uh, lately, but there was an issue with PayPal in the past where if you already had a PayPal account, like your wife or your spouse or whatever, or you had another credit card that had a PayPal account, and then you went to pay and you wanted to use a different a, a credit card, but your PayPal account had the same email address. A lot of times when you jump, when you clicked on the PayPal deal, PayPal would automatically autofill, and the the payment thing got it, just because you were trying to use a different credit card and just it, it just got convoluted and it would lock up. And so again, you, you, people would contact us and we'd have Kelly or myself, Kelly would go in manually and, and she'd get stuff fixed, okay? Just understand, if you already have a PayPal account, just understand, I think they fixed it. Don't get me, don't quote me, but I think they fixed it because we haven't had this problem in a while. But if you, if it somehow charges the wrong card, it's probably PayPal autofilling from your previous purchase history through PayPal. Does that make sense? PayPal says, oh, it's so-and-so. Oh, this is the card they usually use. Click, boom, done. If something happens, you can get a hold of us. We'll take care of it. Not a problem. Just understand. Don't get frustrated. It's just, that's just these programs. These days are thinking more for you than... they're they're thinking for you more than maybe what we want them to do and and sometimes the convenience is great but the problems it causes outweighs the convenience that it gives so just have some patience um and then the other one is just like a lot of of other things you're going to go on there you're going to fill out all your information you're going to go through and and pay whatever subscription that you want okay and then you're going to hit send or click you know what enter or whatever and it's going to go through and then you're going to be like, well, what the hell? I can't log in. I didn't get a, I don't have a password. It didn't ask me for a password. Now I can't log in. I just paid for my, my subscription. Why can't I log in? Okay, hold on a minute. It has to make sure that your payment is good, number one. And number two, it takes a little bit for the program to, and to recognize that, oh, we got a new subscriber. Okay, now we, yes, the payment was valid. 
Okay, now the program is going to send you an email. This is why your email address is so important. And you need to make sure it's your normal email address that your email provider server recognizes and and doesn't, you know, screen. Because if you mistype your email, you're not going to get the login email. Because what it's going to do is you're going to log in, it's going to process it, and then it's going to send you an email. You open that email, you're going to click on the link, that is what gets you in the door. You click on the link, you verify that it is who it is, you are, it's saying that you are who you are, you by clicking on it are saying you are who you are, and when you click on that, now you can go in and set your password and all that type of stuff, and you have the, the gates of the library, online library, are thrown wide open to you, okay? But you've got to go through that email. So that's why your email address has to be right, okay? Otherwise, you're not going to receive that email. Number two, make sure you check. You physically open your junk mail and or your spam folders. Because sometimes, depending on, especially if you open it up at work, this oftentimes will happen. Somebody will open it up at their office or their worker, and there's all sorts of firewall, spam, you know, blocker, blah, blah, blah type of stuff that your employer has set up on on the accounts to where all of a sudden this is clearly not work-related type material. So it just, it gets weeded out and it gets thrown in your spam folder or your, your junk folder, okay? Make sure you go there and check, all right? Now, if you've you gone there, you've checked and it's been a day and, and it's still not coming through, okay, by all means, get a hold of us. We'll take care of it. It's not a big deal. We'll take care of it. But just give it a moment and make sure you understand that you've got to go through that process in order to get it. Now, the other thing that, that people are always asking, they get in there and they realize that there's, well, at this point now, we're pushing 60 plus hours. Well, we will be. I've got a whole bunch of stuff that I've got built that I need to start uploading. And then there's other lessons that I want to start putting together. So there's going to be a, just a piss pile of information in there. It is because so many people utilize their mobile phones and their iPads and and everything else, their tablets. We have optimized, Kelly has optimized the web interface to where it can be used more efficiently with a phone or your tablet. But keep in mind, when you have such a monstrous library of information, especially video-based information, We've done our best to organize it in basically file folders or rooms in the library to where, you know, introduction. There's all sorts of information in that room of introduction of what's going on, the philosophy, the background, and all that type of stuff. There's rec- or the, the, the fundamental, the foundation principles, okay? There's all sorts of videos in that room, if you will, that, that file folder of, uh, on the, on the, on the website. So when, if you are using this through your phone or your tablet, just understand you've got a tiny ass little screen there. There's only so much information you can pack on that tiny little screen. So you've got to scroll and you've got to click the links. You've got to just kind of work your way through it. It, it's easier on a computer because you can have a menu 
on your left and then everything's in front of you on you know in the the bulk of the the computer screen but because so many people want to be able to use it with their phones and their tablets we had to optimize it that way so it's just it's a monstrous body of information just have some patience with chewing through navigating through the site we if you have suggestions on how to make it cleaner or in more intuitive or easier for you by all means, send them. A lot of the improvements that we've made on the Elk Hunting Institute and the Elk Module website has come from our users, our longtime subscribers that said, you know, I love this, I do this, and I know where to go here, but man, if you put this here and made that there, it would be easier. And we're like, hell yes, it would. Awesome suggestion. And so we will upgrade that and, and update that if we can, okay? So by all means, send us your, our, your suggestions, but just understand, there's a lot of information in there. Just take it bit by bit, piece by piece, and just work your way through it. All right. Um, and that's the big one. One of the complaints, not a complaint, one of the one of the criticisms was is like it's like drinking from a fire hose. There's just too much information. I, I don't know what to do. Just just tell me which one I need to watch. Okay, hold on a minute. Again, I've said this before, and it's I always want to repeat this for this. This site. What we've put together, what I put together, this is not made, this was not intended to provide a quick fix or a soundbite style um, resource. It, it is not the type of resource that says, this is the greatest thing that I saw last year, do this and you'll have success. That is not that is not what this website is about. And if you are thinking about going to Row Hunting Resources website and subscribing for the elk module, the Elk Hunting Institute, and that is what you're seeking, you're going to be overwhelmed and you might be disappointed. Until you talk to me and then I walk you through it and then you're like, oh, 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 okay, yeah. Okay, understand, this is teaching you about how to understand elk. How to communicate with elk the way elk communicate with one another. And so there's, a, there's stuff to learn in it. Once you learn that stuff, then there's a whole bunch. So under the fundamentals, the foundation principles, that's where you learn about all sorts of behavioral principles. A lot of the vocalization basics and the foundation vocalizations. When you get through that, you're going to see then there's the next section that's called the gallery or the, the, the recognition section the recognition room of the library, if you will. And in there, there's two. So in the foundation principles, you have behavior, you have cow vocalizations, you have bull vocalizations, you have cow calls and you know, learning how to blow on certain things. And I, trust me, I understand it's been a few, it's been a, well, hell, some of those were, are now going on 10 years. So I, I need to update some of that material. Absolutely. Uh, but it's all relevant. It's all good, solid information. You just, it's just, 10 year younger me <laughs> chatting with you. Um, so there's a lot in there. 
But then when you get to the recognition section, that recognition section is made of two parts. You've got the gallery, and then you have real elk sounds that I've done with Jay Scott of Jay Scott Outdoors. Okay, Both of those have different components where you literally watch and or you listen to elk doing elky things without having, uh, especially the gallery, without having any interference of any sort of hunting operation going on. And the reason why that's important, meaning you're, you're going to see summer footage, you're going to see fall footage where the elk are not being hunted, okay? And you're going to just watch elk in natural environments in a relaxed state where elk are just doing elky things. They're talking with one another, they're engaging one another, okay? And the reason why it's important to watch those outside of a hunting situation is a lot of times when we're watching hunting videos, the hunter or the person doing the calling, there's this sense of urgency. Again, if, especially if you're hunting, you're trying to kill an animal, okay? You're trying to fill a tag. And if an animal comes in, an elk comes in, oftentimes the hunter is going to take the first available good shot in order to secure that animal and put him on the ground. Well, between that first available shot and whatever else that animal might have done in front of you for however long, there's a body of, of knowledge and experience and, and um, activity, behavior, vocalizations, communication that you could potentially have witnessed. But again, because it was a hunting situation, you just wanted to fill the tag. To blink the first opportunity that animal gave you, bam, the, you know, the arrow's on its way, the muzzleloader goes off, the rifle goes off, and boom, the animal's you know dead in his tracks or is running down the hill and you're high-fiving your buddy because you've got a blood trail to follow, right? Well, the gallery, not having any hunting situation, you just sit there and watch the animals do what the animals are going to do in the timing that the animals want to give you. And so you get to see what cow vocalizes to what calf or what other cow and what response did that cow get if she got a response. Did that cow vocalize to that bull? What response did the bull give? How soon did he give it? When did he give it? How? What type of vocalization did he give? If that bull is bugling and there's another bull bugling off in the distance, what bugles are they giving to one another? Who's saying what? And more importantly, why? And even more importantly that, watch what happens. Who is responding to whom? Is it a chance? You know, I... I talk about the fact there is no such thing as a challenge bugle, but regardless, you hear these big dominant bugles, what people call these challenge bugles, display bugles or whatever, and you listen to them, you watch them on screen, and then you hear other bulls in the distance, and you'll see very clearly there are responses to some bugles where there are no responses to other bugles. Why is that? Well, by being able to watch them on the landscape without having that hunting pressure around you, you get to a, you, you allow things to unfold in a natural state where you can sit and watch and digest and you can learn, ah, this bull is doing this thing. He's saying this type, he's, he's bugling in this manner and he's not getting a response. But this bull over here, at the, in the same situation, the same, the whole same scenario, this bull is bugling like this, and he's getting a response. 
but he's getting a response, but this bull's doing nothing. And you get to start to see what are, you get to see how all the puzzle pieces get put together outside of the pressure of trying to fill a tag. That's why it's the recognition series or, or section. So you can sit and you can take all the fundamentals that you learned in the, the foundation principles and you can sit and you can watch the video and you can watch the cows interacting with other cows. You can watch the cows interacting with their calves. You can watch the calves interacting with the cows. You can watch the bulls interacting with cows. You can watch bulls interacting with bulls. And you can recognize all of those foundation principles and why those principles matter, who's saying what, how are they saying it, and why. And then, again, it's likewise under Real Elk Sounds, that's where Jay and I, Jay uh, contributed, put in a bunch of video and, and audio in there. Then Jay and I talk about a lot of these things as well, dissect uh, uh, you know, what we've experienced, meanings, and, and, and that type of stuff. But again, another phenomenal re- resource for being able to practice your calling, practice your vocalizations, and get really, really accurate uh, in what you're doing. And then this, and this is why I'm bringing this up because then the next section is the application section where we take those things that we've learned in the foundation principles, what we recognized in the gallery, and then go out in the field and we actually call elk into us, whether it's a hunting situation or whether it's me just me calling elk. This is the this this section right here, the application, okay, where you get into the section called the strategies in action. That is where I'm out there in the field calling an elk. I'm here we go. It's either a hunting situation or I'm guiding or I'm scouting or I'm I'm act we're in sept most of this is geared around September and early October, okay? So this 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 has applica- applicability for anybody starting their elk hunts in August, running their elk hunts through September into the beginning part of October in most places, okay? This does not talk about the elk module, Elk Hunting Institute at right now, does not talk about late season or mid or uh, mid maybe possibly, but late season rifle strategies. That's that this, not for bulls per, per se. Everything you learn in the, the cow vocalization section, if you have a late season cow tag, absolutely it's applicable. But if you're talking about late season rifle hunting for bulls, no, I don't talk about in that. Talk about that type of stuff in the Elk Hunting Institute elk module. Okay. Um, so most of my stuff is focused end of August into beginning or in, in through through September and beginning of October. And the strategies in action section, people get hung up because. That's the cool part of the video of the website. That's where we're going out in the field and we're calling elk. Sometimes, it well, like for instance, the, there's a video called 108 where um, this bull has an ear tag. He was part of a movement study. The National Forest, <coughs> excuse me, National Forest in the state was doing uh, with a university looking at movement of elk across the landscape, and so they ear tag some elk. Well, he has an ear tag that has one the number 108 on it, so I called the video 108. That one, um, from start to finish, from the first time I heard him bugle to when he's standing, I don't know, was it seven steps in front of me or 14? I don't remember which one. There's a bunch of them. Um, I think it was six minutes. 
like the the entire encounter in six minutes. I mean, he was he was off in the distance bugling. I started calling. He was in my lap. Call him to your toes, point blank, right now. Whereas there are other videos that are an hour long, and, and legitimately so. And you'll notice with the strategies in action, I try to keep the editing of the encounter at a minimum because I want you to see how long sometimes these calling sequences and engagements actually take. So, Like I said, 108, it was like minutes. Other ones, you sit and you work, you work your setup, you work your setup, you work the win, you work the setup, you work the call, and that bull is just out. He's He's just right there. He hasn't left, but he hasn't come all the way in. And so you work him. And so some of these videos with minimal editing are, are an hour long. The issue, the, the one I want to, I, I, it's a couple years old now. I finally have, I need to get it done. I, I call the four hour call in because it literally the entire encounter, the entire calling encounter and, and effort was four out, four plus hours. Obviously I'm not going to do a four hour video. No one would watch it, but there's a lot of, of, of information in there of just just grinding through, you know, engaging this bull first light, working him, getting a glimpse at glimpse at him. His cows are around, other bulls are around. I can't get him to come in. He starts heading to bed. I'm shadowing. I'm flanking. I'm trying to call. I'm doing all. I'm doing everything I can do. I test different things. I talk about what I'm seeing or hearing and what's going on as he's moving across the landscape. Finally, let them. I finally follow them all the way to where they're going to finally bed. They bed down, get stabilized. I finally was able to call a cow out of the group. Point blank, I should have reached out and grabbed a fistful of hair, but call her out, which then brings the bull out and he's standing 15 yards broadside. But that was four solid hours, four solid hours of working and, and plenty of lessons and, and information in there to, to digest. So that's the type of stuff that's in the strategies and in action section. It's sexy. It's awesome. It's fun. It's it's there's screaming bulls in front of you. I will say it again. I will always say it. Do not just skip to the good part. Okay. I know there's a the the reels and can we skip to the good part? No, no, we can't. No, don't. Don't skip to the good part, okay? Go through. The whole point behind the website is to learn, okay? A deep fundamental understanding of what the elk are doing and why they're doing it. So that way, when you go out in the field, you will know what to do and more importantly, why, okay? The strategies in action section, that the that that the the uh, application section of that that room of the of the website. There's a bunch of videos in there. It will make so much more sense, and there will be such a greater uh, uh, there. And this is what I've I've this is the feedback I've been I've been given by numerous subscribers both long-term subscribers and short-term if you go through how we have it laid out and you take the time to understand you don't have to memorize and, and like be a master at everything because there's just too much stuff in there 
if you have a fundamental understanding of, if you've gone through and watched the previous videos in the sections in order, and it at least made an attempt to, to, to wrap your brain around it, when you do finally get to the strategies in action section, you are going to have such a, just a fundamentally deeper understanding and appreciation of what you're witnessing, number one. And number two, you're going to be able to watch my videos, dissect them and understand them. And then you're going to be able to go and watch any elk video. I don't care where you see it. And you're going to be able to understand it and critically dissect it from a behavior, an elk behavior communication, vocalization standpoint and have a much deeper understanding. And then you're going to have a better ability to apply what you've learned, what you just witnessed for yourself out into the field. All right. So these things always come up every year, right about this time. Everybody starts ramping up, getting going on the, on the elk module. I appreciate it. I, I want you to tell your friends to subscribe. Get your, get your subscription again. We have not changed our rates, okay? Um, man, well, 2023 will be what 2023 is. We have not changed our rates, okay? We have kept them low. I think they're stupidly low given the market, what other other avenues are out there right now. We just, we want to, again, we want to make sure it's accessible by high school students and college students and and mothers that want to get their kids involved with the hunting and don't know anything about it. Yeah, we, uh, the last thing I want is my price point to be a barrier for entry. Um, costs are going up, unfortunately, but so we'll, we'll see what 2023 brings, but we've kept the prices the same. And, and as of now, barring any su surprises by our, our web hosting and, and our, our, all that stuff, it, knock on wood, they'll stay the same. So, um, like I said, I've got the, I've got stuff for the four hour, four hour call in coming in. I've got a video. I, I need to build the one that I did the last Arizona elk hunt that I did, um, with the guys. There's a good lesson in there. I've got several good lessons from this past year. Uh, these past two seasons, uh, just, just, Peripheral stuff, moving across the landscape, scouting, um, vegetation. Everybody has asked about vegetation, scouting, what to look for, what type of vegetation do elk use, what's quality vegetation, what is worthless vegetation, um, what, what do you look for and why? Well, I spent some time last fall and I picked apart a bunch of different areas and in the, in the vegetation in those areas. That is a series that I want to get put up there here fairly soon. So that'll be up there for you guys that are guys and gals that are getting ready to uh, start scouting. Um, so there's a bunch of different stuff, but here's the other thing I want to ask you, and especially for you that are the long-term subscribers, um, for those that have been around a while and have been, you know, come back year after year, which I appreciate immensely. I thank you. Let me know what do you, what do you want to see? What what other information would you like to see included in that website in the Elk Hunting Institute? 
Are there things that I've I've neglected? Are there things different things that maybe I haven't thought about that that you would like to see? Let me know. Reach out. Let me know. Uh, yeah, obviously you'll have my email address. You know, and, and but if you're on social media or whatever, you just want to private message me through Instagram. Go for it. If you want to send me an email, send me an email. Whatever. But you know, we try to make this website. Like I said before, when we when we um, refigure the the usability for mobile devices and that type of stuff. That came from you, that that are long-term subscribers. And and again, this podcast and everything we do is possible for because of our subscribers. So massive kudos to every one of you and and I appreciate you for just always being there and and letting us continue this 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 journey. So um there's a bunch more coming. Uh, I just wanted to touch on those things tonight just to answer some questions, just to kind of, because again, the, the login stuff always comes up, the pay stuff always comes up, and then just drinking from the firehouse, just the amount of information that's in there. Just don't get overwhelmed. Just take it step by step. And I even have lessons carved out for if you're just a beginner and you just want to, you just want to tiptoe into this giant ocean, you know, okay, fine. Here's a lesson. Here's a couple videos to watch. Watch them in this order. Get a handle on this video, get a handle on this video, get a handle on this concept and this principle and whatever, and then go watch these videos on these calls and whatever, get a handle on, master those, and then go to the strategies that, you know, we can, I can take you in and we can wade into this, you know, to where you're not, you're not overwhelmed and, and just drowning in it all, in it all. But for those that are experienced, for those that have been around the block and maybe know some of this stuff, you, some of the stuff you're going to just blow through. Um, you're going to, you're going to sit there and watch, well, I don't need to watch that video because I already know that. Well, that may be the case, but there's been a lot of people that have gotten back with me and said, you know what? I thought I knew all those things or, and quite honestly, I did know a lot of that stuff, but what I didn't know was how that related to this and that, and then why this was done. There's little tiny things. Sometimes the most profound thing you'll get out of watching a particular video isn't the underlying structure of anything. It's just the little light bulb that, goes off in your head about some application or some connectivity or some, um, the way it relates somehow to maybe an experience that you had or, or, or whatever. It's those little moments that actually just tie a lot of things together. So even if you're experienced elk hunter and you, you come across a video that you think, you know, give yourself the opportunity to just watch it. Just, just, just watch it. And maybe you watch it and you're like, yep, knew all that and move on. Okay, well, you never have to go back. You don't ever have to watch it again. Check it off your list and move on. But don't short change yourself. Um, give it give it a give it a, a fair shake. All right. So and then yeah. For those that are that are coming back, welcome. We'll get ready for uh 2022 elk season. And uh given that Colorado, I I've got to believe that other western states are going to be ramping up as well all the all the other western states that have not posted already um they should be notifying everybody here soon so we'll see most people should be knowing whether or not they're going to be elk hunting in a general area this year or whether they're going to be elk hunting in a nice limited entry unit and then we'll see what we'll see what the weather and the the hunting pressure and all that translates as we as we move forward into uh well, especially the weather and the moisture cycle and all that for this summer, but then you just have to see what ends up happening as far as hunter pressure, given all the changes that a lot of western states have made this past year, but that 
that is what it is. We can't do anything about that. But alrighty, I've rambled on long enough. I hope that was uh, worth it. Um, as always, thanks for listening. I appreciate your patience. I apologize for being delayed this this week, uh, but. It's just going to be balls of walls until I get everything planted. I've got about 50-some acres to plant with my Genesis 3. <laughs> oh, I can plant about, with, with that drill, if all the conditions are about perfect, I can probably do about two acres an hour. Usually, on average, it roughly shakes out to be about an acre an hour. So I've got a solid week's worth of work of overtime. If, if the equipment works flawlessly, Flawlessly. That's five days straight of ten-hour days. And if uh, if history is any indication, things are not going to work flawlessly. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I got to spend the next couple days getting stuff fixed, or that. Well, yeah, I got to travel to. Saturday is going to be chalked up to travel, and Sunday morning will be chalked up to travel. But around that, I'm going to be. I'm going to be busy, but uh, anyway, I'm going to try to, I've got a couple other folks that are lined up, want to sit and chat on the podcast, so we'll have some guests coming up as well, so uh, until next time, thanks everybody, stay safe, and uh, we'll talk soon.